Welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Taran Rama's Hard News on Friday night at BBS Radio Station 1. We're grateful that you join us here tonight. <sighs> it's been quite an intense day, so let's let go of that dross of the day and go into a heart space. So let's take a few gentle breaths, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Slowly and gently, or whatever protocol you like to use for grounding like that. And go into your heart space. And as we do that, let go of that dross of the day and gather with our guides, our guardians, our angels, spirit teams, ancestors, spirit guides. Our animal ones, <laughs> the wolf or the cat or the rat, bring those ones in that work with you like to work with. And there's a council fire in the center. Let's come forward towards that council fire as we gather around in a circle, coming close in that virtual way we know how to do. 
as we call in these seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition, using the Kini zone. You might hear her in the distance. Bringing us in together. That calling girl. Welcome from the East, House of Light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us, so that we may see all things in clarity.
about to be born, whatever we were dreaming in nine nine months ago, 254 days ago, is what we're manifesting and birthing in this time, so you might feel a few labor pains on the way, (laughs) but uh, so today is that white resonant wizard day, it's resonant wizard, so the resonant tone, inspiring attunement channel. And the wizard, enchant, receptivity, timelessness. So here's the mantra for today. I channel in order to enchant, inspiring receptivity. I seal the output of timelessness with the resonant tone of attunement. I'm guided by the power of death. And... um, And I'm guided by the power of death. So that um, that guiding power is Kimi, and that second watch is so that is the second watch. That's the World Bridger, uh, Kimi, and uh, the support team for today is or the analog is the serpent Chichang. So we're working with that serpent and. And our challenge teacher, Anna Pode, today is the seed. So we're <laughs> challenged about getting those seeds in the ground in a good, timely way. Definitely time to start that seeding. So in the garden here, put in the things that can handle the weather, spring weather. And then it's the spirit guide for this evening, the fourth cycle, and for the whole day, is the, the hand, Monique healing hand. So that's the destiny path for today. Um, Let's look on further and see a little more. Look at uh, the magician or the wizard for a few more minutes. It's a visionary aspect. It's about the illumination for others. So we're working with clarity of mind and purpose, and we're embracing the gifts of being that Jaguar priestess woman or that shaman that um, embracing that jaguar medicine with integrity and in accordance with divine will 
as we let go of any control or personal power issues or any manipulation. We embrace these energies for today. And then moving on to Saturday, and eight men, the blue galactic eagle. And it's also the first quarter of the moon, which happens at 10.19 in the morning in, in Taurus. So that first quarter is always a square with the sun and the moon. So that's what that 90 degree does, isn't it? So let's look at um, the eight men for for Saturday, the Blue Galactic Eagle, the visionary aspect. And when we work with the eagle, we work with our commitment to service and um, moving consciousness to source and reconnecting with all creation as we embrace that gift of independence and belief in the self. And I'm grateful for the eagles that lose on my river river road that I get to see. There's two of them there. <laughs> so I get to see that big picture and how to find those big fish. So let's do some of that big visioning as we let go of any feelings of despair or any dissociation or the illusion of separateness. And then that's Saturday. So moving on to Sunday, it's the nine keys. The yellow solar warrior and the warrior energy. The solar tone, or the solar tone is that activation. It's a nine. So we're three threes. We're moving it. Um, making some movement here with that warrior aspect. We have that power to, as we trust in our journey and bring awareness of right action, we have that communication with the divine and that access to cosmic consciousness. That's perfect for a Sunday energy. As we let go of any limitations, let go of any restrictions, and don't hesitate. So those are the guidance for Sunday with the nine keys. And then Monday at 10, Kaban, the red planetary earth. And that 10, the planetary zone is that manifestation. So let's manifest what we need on Earth. We are in that cycle where we're coming towards that um, shift of the season. We shift from the winter cycle, the winter quarter, to the um, spring quarter on Thursdays, and actually on Wednesday. So we're priming ourselves with that energy on Tuesday or on Monday with this red planetary Earth energy. It's a healing <laughs> aspect, and it's about being that keeper of the earth, being aware of her energy, listening, tuning in, and embracing that that gift of access to planetary harmony, being that balancing point, and using our intuition. As we work with this manifestation energy, that 10 tone, let us let go of any separation, let go of any failure to redefine, and no dissociation. Stay connected, stay grounded. Today it's an 11, it's now, now we're letting go what no longer serves us with that warrior energy of the mirror, it's now. Also a cutting tool, the same, a knife, so 
It's another uh, meaning of the word etnob in the Mayan language. So we work on grounding him. We work on that wise use of honesty as we look into that <laughs> that mo- that persistent image of the mirror. We work with under self-understanding, and we work with those guesses of the mirror, scrying the unseen and fluidity with that persistence. So let's let go of any illusions of separateness, let go of fear, any abandonment illusions. <laughs> so let, let go of illusions. It's a mirror. Anyway, the white spectral mirror and it let go of no longer serves us. That's Tuesday and then on Wednesday it's the first day of the spring cycle. And it's called Imok. And it's spelled I-M-B-O-L-C. It's a Celtic holiday. And you don't pronounce the B at all. Or hardly any of those other numbers, <laughs> letters. It's the first letters. It's first syllable is M, and the last one's Ock. And so it's pronounced Imok. But the M is the accented syllable. The first syllable is accented Imok. And it's also called Groundhog Day, a lot easier to pronounce. <laughs> but that's um, on the second, is Groundhog Day. The first is Emma, or St. Br- Bridget's Day. It's also known as Candle Mass. And it's the first day of the spring cycle. So it goes till April the 30th, and then Bill Kane starts the summer cycle. So we will be celebrating that um, on... The 12th Kawak, the blue crystal storm. So we have a blue crystal storm for Imok. And um, so let's look at that storm energy. Its visionary aspect is about creating transformation for others and lighting clear thoughts. So embrace these gifts, that possibility of freedom, that power of catalyzing as we let go of any addiction to crisis, despair, fear, or illusion of separation. I'm going to add another little bit about MLC because it is so pertains to our group. It is the second cycle. This winter cycle was the birthing, and now we're in that childhood state, the MLC, as we, as our energy, soul energy grows through the year. So I want to just share with you the spring quarter of MLC brings the gift of insight and inspiration and a time of beginnings and of essential truthfulness begun in the dark and often icy days of early spring. It is traditionally the time to appreciate innocence, truth, and justice, to make resolutions and plans, and to prepare for the unfolding year. In the human growth cycle, Imok corresponds to the period of childhood when all things are questioned or enjoyed for their own sake. Imok is a good time to celebrate the lives of all soul midwives who have taught and prepared us, all who have been upholders of justice and truth, all holy ones who have gone to the heart of the matter with great clarity and insight. I hope. <laughs> so there you go. Let's do this. Nasera now. And uh, 
and then moving on to the Friday when we come. <clears throat> no, actually Thursday. It's it's the uh, it's the portal day. It's Groundhog Day. It's thirteen and how the yellow cosmic sun. It's my son's birthday. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and it's the, we're at the beginning of spring. We celebrate that. So a portal day being on this. Women, long Wednesday. I I read, read to you about this one, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so on this day, then moving on, Thursday, the 13th of how is the yellow cosmic sun. So let's look at it this a little closer. It's a healing aspect. It's about rising to Christ consciousness. It's about striving towards wholeness, transmitting energy to others. It's that cosmic tone, that promise of change. And number 13 is a cosmic tone, and this is the sun. So it's possibility thinking, it's unconditional love, it's the God self. Let's embrace all of that and rise to Christ consciousness and let go of any limitation. Do not limit your potential and let go of any separation. So, and that's a portal day. So we've got all that accentuated in all dimensions working with Groundhog Day to start with. <laughs> so we get to do it all day long, just like Groundhog Day would be. And then moving on to Friday, it's also a portal day. We be uh, how being the very end, Thursday being the very end of the cycle, it's the birthing of whatever it was that we were bringing in when we start this cycle way back in July. Well, it was before then, maybe. I can't remember. I'll, I'll check it out and see. Um, <laughs> but here it is at a niche beginning a new Zulkin cycle of 260 days. It means it's the number one kin, it's the number one glyph, niche, the dragon, and it's the number one tone. So it's a triple one. And the first cycle, the first annual, so it's triple, triple, triple one. So this is an artist aspect as we embrace this new beginning. We set our intentions for the next 260 days, the next nine months. So let's conceive the best as we work with this artist aspect, the creation of the self-dependence, the trusting in the universe and the clarity of mind as we embrace being the source of creation and the beginning. And we let go of any illusion of lack of support when we do this. And it's also a portal day. So powerful day on Friday when we come back. We'll, we'll talk about it some more as we begin anew on that day and in the new spring cycle at the same time. Very powerful week. Um and moving into a powerful cycle as we go in set this first wave, get into this first wave, the magnetic dragon of the new Zulking. We'll be going through those portal days every day in the sense that they're all triple numbered. Uh, the, the numerology is powerful as well as the calendar itself. <laughs> so there you go. With that, I'm going to change my hat. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's each of us that makes it happen. And we do that by going into our heart space 
and seeing what our is ours to give. As this week, we need six hundred and twenty dollars to catch up and cover our expenses with BBS Radio. That's um, about half the <clears throat> the month of January, or a little more. Um, so yeah, we're grateful to be caught up by the time we get to this new cycle next the end of next week and uh we'd be grateful we're grateful for all your contributions. The six hundred and twenty dollars is what we need. Here's how we we do it. We go to bbsradio.com. You want to access our account, you do that by clicking on our icon. You find the icon by looking at the menu. And the menu selection will be listed on the first page. Click on that for radio station one. Looking for the 6 o'clock hour on Thursday and Fridays. And you'll find on Thursdays a night at the round table with the panel. And on Fridays, this program, the, <clears throat> the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. Either one of those icons, as you click on it, will take you directly to our account with BBS Radio. This is Radio Station 1. And, um, yeah, and take care of that. Help us, help us keep up with this, <laughs> these bills. We appreciate all of you. Thank you for paying it forward like that. Thank you for your generosity and your participation. And we also have a program on Saturdays on Radio Station 2. It's at the 1.30 hour, and that's Pacific. And it's called The True History, History, and the Sarah, and Our Galactic Origins. And it's... Um, it's on Radio Station 2, so you find it on the menu there on Saturday at the 1.30 hour. You can click on that, make a donation there, and be sure to join us <laughs> every Saturday at 1.30. Uh, we're glad to have you on board. And, um, yeah, as you're, yeah, as you're doing that, then we all can gather each week and do this this way. We have archives. We have this incredible service in BBS Radio. We're so grateful. Well, Don and Doug and TJ and all the people there that helped make it happen in a good way. So, so grateful for all of you for joining us and assisting us this way and making it happen that we can gather this way each week. So, so much gratitude to each and every one of you for all the ways that you show up in your lives. So, thank you. And we are also assisting Tara and Rollin with their needs and this week. Uh, they need a couple hundred dollars for their living expenses, and they have another need for, well, $500 for um, their living expenses for bills and such. It's a little less than that. It's 477 but I rounded it up to 500 <laughs> So that makes $700 altogether is what they're asking for to meet their needs. That, um aren't being met other ways. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you for going into your heart space, seeing what is yours to give and taking that action. Here's how we connect to Rama's PayPal account to make it happen. There's one way, there's two ways, and there's three ways. You can always send something in the mail. So here's how we can get to Rama's PayPal. You go to rainbowroundtable.net. That's our web address. And our name, Rainbow Roundtable. And um, there on the home page, as you click on that menu grid, you'll see the donate link near the bottom of that list. Click on that. That'll link you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. 
And then as you want to access the friends and family option, you have to put in Mama's email at PayPal. But first you have to go to paypal.com and then put that in the gifting or who you want to gift. That address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 nine, 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 at hotmail.com. And what else? Oh, yeah, and if you... <clears throat> Yeah, you do it that way. That's friends and family. That gets just eliminate commercial charges. Either way, it's perfect. We're grateful for your comp- contributions and your generosity and for showing up like that. Um, so as you're sending something, please let Rama know his email address, Koran999, K-O-R-A-N-999-39, at Comcast.net. Let them know what you sent when you sent it, and and then if you need it, the physical address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567, and I'll give it to you again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. There you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all your contributions and uh, gifting in this way. We're so grateful for all of your gifts. So with that, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart, long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick. Oh, no, there's a groundhog on it. (laughs) So let us awake. And, or woke, and what else is on there? Oh, all the little people. All the little people, they really like Groundhog Day. They're all just ready to celebrate. And um, there's still firecrackers left over from New Year's, I guess, last week. Still got some of those. And some dragons and unicorns have come along for the ride. Greetings, Tara and Rella. Here comes this talking stick. Quite the quattles there that. Excalibur sort of truth is right there as well. So welcome, Tar and Rama. Here, here comes the talking stick. Greetings. Thank you so much, Rainbird. And I like talking sticks with groundhogs hanging around. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We are so grateful to be here. I know. And we're going to... Just, you know. Blaze the Violet Fire. Blaze the Violet Fire. Just a, a really difficult release of footage of five black officers basically beating one black man with celiac disease, a very thin man who the chief of the police there said in Memphis that. She didn't see any reason for them to stop him in the first place, and they beat him to death, basically. Yeah, public execution. Well, it was at night. Yes. They didn't. But the thing was is that in other incidences like that, it takes, I mean, in the case of Chicago, it took over a year to release that footage. Uh, What's that? Laquan? Was it Laquan? I think so. 16-year-old that had a mental situation going on with his brain, and he was he was moving away. He was uh, anyway. 
Oh dear. They survived it by and, and <laughs> so yes. Uh, as the white knights have been saying that as we move closer to the expression of freedom becoming accessible to the people, those who do not wish for that to take place, they bear bear down in the opposite direction to the extreme. And that's what we've been watching here. That's it's a little it's a little much. But um other than that, the thing that happened yesterday that Rama got to see the gold certificates. Yeah. That was yesterday. And they're all complete. And again, it's hard to say it, but there's about three and a half billion people on the planet. Not eight billion. It's a wild story. Yes. And that's another story because that was mass genocide. Yes. It was intentionally done done so. It is about the deep state. And they used over right now. And they used um, the five G towers to uh, exacerbate exacerbate a quicker death. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to say I have no idea how long it takes to cut three and a half billion uh, gold certificate. Gold certificates. Yes, I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually... Rama saw the gold certificates that um, the, poppy. the poppy lady received. A lot of the wealthy visionaries and others who committed themselves to uh, going to places where situations needed to be addressed, um, they were given their gold certificates ahead of time so that they could access that to um, work in, for instance, the poppy lady working in Afghanistan. Yes. Or we had no business being there in the first place. And uh, rescuing, you know, civilians. And uh, lots of kids, too. Afghanistan kind of looks like a nuclear nightmare to be quite blunt. It's not pretty, what we have done. Well, they're doing the same thing in Ukraine now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Leopard tanks coming from Germany and all kinds of tanks coming from here. What do they call them here? Abrams Abrams tanks. Abrams tanks. They're saying it's going to take a couple of months. So that would bring it to March. So... I'm just going to read what Rama got today because this is interesting because there's something else going on in March. Yes. Okay, so Rama said, I received a text message from Rana Moo at 11.50, 11.50 a.m. this morning. 
She said to me, Lord Rama, as we approach March with Pluto going into Aquarius, things are going to fundamentally shift. It is about the revealing of this very ancient story, which is about the return of Nibiru. All the great silent watchers are, are back. This is about the ascension of all of us. In order to ascend, we must ascend through our hearts. In this present moment, there are giant motherships everywhere across this planet. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Please place all of the current troubled spots. And don't forget where we live here on the planet in the circle of support. See you in the light of the most radiant one. Satnam Namaste, blaze the violet fire. Pretty simple, right, yes. Ronald? Okay. And uh, I would say the world is having some uh, emotional upset going on by watching the live footage of this stuff in Memphis with this young man yes who is dead and uh, I would we were watching the sound off and it was horrific but the way that they were they did had no dignity whatsoever they just ripped him out of the car they didn't really tell him what he did no and the footage this is the first time that the chief of the police ordered that footage right away for everybody to see. I mean, it was just like overnight. And uh, like I said, you know, months and months and, you know, people forgot about the whole thing and, and then they're going to release some footage. Uh, so this was immediately, and that's very curious because all five of the police officers were black. And... The per person that they murdered was black. This is really interesting. This is this. I don't get it. So um, the built-up uh, 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 negative energies uh, in the whole society is is erupting. You know, in so many it places. Is. It's. Um, and so I can see that that's also part of this transition period. Uh, and let's uh, just know that uh, there are positive things happening. And I believe this is a story I have here. This was from Lawrence O'Donnell from last night. And I thought it was something that we could enjoy. So I'm going to turn it on, and we'll enjoy it. <laughs> okay, just let me move this lovely microphone. And in the meantime, you know, continue to blaze the fire, the fire with this situation here. All right, here we go. Our next guest did something that seemed impossible. She's a Democrat who flipped a heavily Republican and very rural district in a congressional race. She joined us 
after that race was called on November 14th to discuss how she managed to win over enough Republican voters to score that upset victory. Well, you know, I'm a small business owner. I own an auto repair and a machine shop. I live in rural Skamania County. Get my water from a well. I get my internet from a radio tower. I get my Netflix on DVDs. Um, and I think that that is a um, listen. People want a Congress that looks like America. We are really tired of clickbait politics and having Twitter control our policy. We want small business owners, working families, young parents. Um, th- that's what people are looking for in Congress today. I believe. Joining us now is Democratic Congresswoman Marie Lucenkamp Perez of the state of Washington as of today, just today. She is a new member of the House Agriculture Committee and the House Small Business Committee. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. How do you feel about your new committee assignments? Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I feel like this is a really strong position to be effective for my district. Uh, you know, we're a big timber district, um, which is part of the Ag Committee. And, um, you know, as somebody that had to personally navigate an SBA loan to purchase the garage that our business operates out of. Uh, you know, that application took me a year to complete. It was like the size of a phone book. So I have a little bit of an ax to grind with the SBA and I'm, I'm really excited to um, help make the federal government more effective and, and more accessible for small business owners. You know, I've known a lot of members of the small business committee, especially in the Senate. Uh, that is the best expertise I have ever heard uh, on someone just joining that committee. Uh, This is such an important issue, and it's the kind of issue you never really hear about on the campaign trail with any authority, uh, how the Small Business Administration works. Uh, What's the first thing you want to try to accomplish there? Well, I mean, a a real serious understanding of the, the burden it is for small businesses to navigate the system. I mean, there are so many small businesses that would qualify for these loans, but just can't overcome the regulatory hurdle that these uh, applications present. And so uh, looking at maybe the the broader available uh, businesses that would qualify and and what our actual uh, attainment is in those loans. Um, And and more mentorship, you know, uh, and and also just a, a clear application process. So uh, you live quite a distance uh, from Washington, D.C. You're one of those, uh, you know, long flight uh, members. Uh, have you found the balance yet of how to, the running back and forth between home and Washington, D.C.? Well, I mean, it's always such a relief to get back home uh, to my district. I, it, Southwest Washington is the most beautiful place in the world. And so it makes the flight worth it and, and feel, um, you know, like, and, and I can be productive on the flight, too. So uh, it's important to me to be really available in the district and accountable and present. And so that's just the cost of doing business is you know, being on a plane twice a week. Do your voters understand at this stage what's at stake in the debt ceiling debate? Yeah, you know, we held our first person in town, uh, in-person town hall last week in Stevenson, Washington. And um, that was one of the things that came up frequently. And people are concerned about it. People are paying attention all across the country. Um, You know, the headlines are up. And so, um, you know, I I think we're all concerned. On the Agriculture Committee, what is your priority? Well, you know, we are a big timber district. And one of the things, like, okay, so go to the grocery store. I, I dare you, try and buy laundry detergent that doesn't come in a big plastic jug anymore. 
So many products that used to come in cardboard and paper are now all coming in plastic. And that's having terrible downstream effects for our oceans and shellfish habitats, right? Um, those microplastics are presenting a huge risk to our children's health and our natural resources. And I believe that one of the big solutions to that is more cardboard and paper. And so on the Ag Committee, I'm looking for avenues to start replacing plastic packaging and plastic products with renewable cardboard and paper. Representative Marie Gusenkamp Perez, you know, it's very hard for small business committees to get any attention to their hearings. But with you on that committee, that's that's really going to be interesting to watch. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much, Lawrence. Thank you. And coming up. Okay. I just, I found something that was uplifting. I thought yeah. I'd share it with you. Uh, we're gonna play Amy uh, later. Yes, it's an intense one, and, and it's a very intense one. Yet, I was just uh, remembering Randy saying that it's necessary for everybody to be fully informed as to what's going on, and of course, solutions. That was a really wonderful solution-oriented interview. And uh, even at the most difficult situations, there's a real big necessity to find a solution. And Rage of the Sith is not a solution. No, it's not. Although all the movies, I mean, Star Trek is doing this, you know, it's always got to be good by bad guys. Somebody's got to die. Hurry up. <laughs> and and uh, what does that do? It, it uh, frenetic energy, right, Rama? Uh, yeah. You want to say something about that? It's about evolving into higher realms where there's no need for aggression on any level and that has to do with what happened when we fell into our uh, fallen human ego so to speak a long time ago in a galaxy not so far far away yeah and um Mother keeps emphasizing if you want peace, you got to find peaceful solutions. And peace starts within each one of us, and it's about healing our own demons, whatever form they might be in. Yeah, and so the solution that we're going all, to, all going to witness now is that about 500,000 characters in the play who have made huge profits in the business of war, killing for profit, right? Uh, I, I'm just saying, I mean, it was reported about these leopard tanks and what do we call ours again? Abrams, Abrams tanks. tanks. And there's other kinds of, Francis putting some more things out, uh, all kinds of really sophisticated killing 
technologies. Yeah. And Poland and Germany and France and uh, the United States in particular were listed as, you know, this is a proxy war and a half. And uh, the other thing is that we're playing both sides against the middle. What for? Oh, okay, so they blow up all these things and then they got to make more. So then they make more and then they kill for profit some more. And who's footing the bill? Oh, that's right, you and me. So we'll let this go and let's just keep it going in the circle of support. Uh, paper replacing plastic, cardboard replacing plastic. That is a super califragilistic expialidocious way to solve some problems here. Thank you, young lady. <laughs> and okay, so Rama, what's the phone numbers for the conference call? Um, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one. And the pin code three five three eight six three pound. Okay, everybody, we'll take a little time here and we'll spend an hour together on this conference call and then we'll be right back to BBS Radio at the top of the next hour for the best radio in the universe to continue. So see you on the conference. Namaste for now. Aloha.
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Precious Heart, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Once the divine matrix for a generational changing of the guard was co-created by awakening humanity in the company of heaven during the 36th World Congress on Illumination in October of 2022, the way was cleared for fifth dimensional silent watchers to take their strategic positions on planet Earth. At that time, the fourth dimensional silent watchers who had been holding the immaculate concept for Earth's ascension through the fourth dimension were relieved of their responsibilities and allowed to return home for a well-deserved rest. Silent watchers are awesome feminine beings of light that are associated with the mighty Elohim, who are the builders of form. Silent watchers are given the responsibility of holding the immaculate concept, which is the divine blueprint, the highest divine potential of whatever is being co-created in the realms of cause. This can include the divine potential for solar systems, individual planets, continents, countries, and whatever is being co-created by the sons and daughters of God. As these creations evolve into higher and higher aspects of divinity, more evolved silent watchers come to replace the silent watchers that have been holding the immaculate concept for the previous stage of that particular creation. Mighty Circulata is the cosmic mother of all of the silent watchers in our system of worlds. Mighty Immaculata is the silent watcher for planet Earth. These two feminine beings of light are the overlighting guides for the new fifth dimensional silent watchers that have taken their places around the globe. They will remain with us until we are all ascended free. The fact that fifth dimensional silent watchers have now been called by Circulata and Immaculata to take their strategic positions around Mother Earth clearly indicates the progress we are making in our ascension process. On this sacred and holy day, the fifth dimensional silent watchers are going to assist us by empowering the immaculate concept for the fifth dimensional new earth. This is possible now because the foundation of our mother God's comprehensive divine love is being formed day by day with every newly balanced and elevated holy breath we take. If you have the heart to participate, please join with me now. Beloved ones, 
as we begin this activity of light, I ask that humanity's collective I am presence now breathe the highest frequencies of prana and life force that we are capable of receiving through our newly balanced and elevated holy breath. As this exquisite holy breath bathes the earth, new, greatly expanded patterns of unity consciousness, oneness, and reverence for all life from Mother Earth's new contingency plan are being amplified 1,000-fold by the new fifth-dimensional silent watchers. With every holy breath we take, these new patterns are now being encoded into the heart and conscious mind of every person on Earth. This is awakening the masses of humanity to a new and infinitely higher level of divine consciousness. With every holy breath, humanity's collective I am presence now breathes into every person's heart flame the patterns for the fifth dimensional new earth. These are the patterns that are encoded within the flame of the immaculate concept pulsating within the heart of Mother Earth's new fifth dimensional silent watchers. Now, beloved Father, Mother God, I invoke your divine light and the light of the entire company of heaven. Powers of light come forth now. In deep humility and profound gratitude, I consecrate every facet of my being to be the open door that no one can shut for the patterns of perfection that will be co-created in 2023. These patterns will be co-created on the newly formed foundation of our Mother God's comprehensive divine love. I am a cup, a holy grail, through which the light of God is now flowing to lift all life on earth into the blissful embrace of the new earth. I am my mighty I am presence, and I am one with the divine heart and mind of God. I am one with the fifth dimensional silent watchers. I am one with the solar logos. I am one with the angelic kingdom and all of the beings of light throughout infinity. I am one with the I am presences of humanity. And I am one with the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth. Now, through the unspeakable power of our Mother God's love and the unified efforts of the new fifth-dimensional silent watchers. All life on this planet is being lifted into the immaculate concept of the divine plan for the new earth. 
within this concept of infinite physical perfection, every person remembers that they are a beloved son or daughter of God. Every person comprehends the divine truth that all life is interconnected, interrelated, and interdependent. A renewed sense of oneness and reverence for all life stirs in each heart flame. The love of our mother God and the divine power of our father God flood the earth through humanity's fully opened heart chakra. As the love and power of God flow through each person's heart flame, we are lifted up and our lives are transfigured. From this new level of consciousness, humanity taps into the patterns of perfection for the new earth. Viable solutions to the maladies existing on earth flow into the hearts and minds of light workers everywhere. The light workers join forces to co-create the perfection of the new earth, and we are fully supported by the fifth dimensional silent watchers. All traces of pain and suffering are transmuted into light, and every concept of lack and limitation ceases to exist. The abundance of God floods the earth. People everywhere perceive and acknowledge the divinity blazing in every heart flame. Humanity now knows and accepts that all life is divine. This realization inspires every person to feel and express love and mutual respect for every part of life. As the collective thoughts and feelings of humanity continually empower the perfection of the new earth, the physical plane is transfigured. The body of Mother Earth is restored to the immaculate concept of the new earth encoded within the heart flames of the fifth dimensional silent watchers. Every divine quality pulsating in our father, mother, God's causal body becomes an aspect of the order of the new day on planet earth and all is well. And so it is, beloved, I am, I am, I am. God bless you, dear one. I look forward to being with you next week. of light work and let these few moments
be about your awareness of your own beautiful heart. The love that's possible when you allow it in. And the love that is given to us from the other side of the veil. The love that is possible to flow out from a whole, healed, beautiful heart. Flow out into the world and connect with other beautiful hearts. So breathe into that friend in your chest. Been with you since the beginning. And say thank you. Thank you for coming on this journey. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for all that I've shared with others. And thank you even for my heartbreaks and for my heart healing. And for the love that continues to grow as I learn as I allow a greater and greater measure of divine source love to flow through my heart. And as our hearts calibrate to receive the love from the other side of the veil, the honoring that is here to wash over us Let your heart, let your consciousness open more than ever. Feel it. Clear your mind, open your heart, and let your consciousness receive with each breath, with each word, the healing message and the love from Cryon. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. The room is filled with those I know. Those who listen later, I know. This is because all of you are part of a larger family family that hides from you while you're here. And I want to talk about something. It's a subject we have broached before, but not necessarily in this way. Here is a brand new energy for the planet and you're in transition between a consciousness of the past and that which is a promise of the future. How many times have we told you that moving literally from a darker area to a lighter area brings with it joy, anticipation, and also the old energy? For a flash bulb doesn't simply go off and everything is fine. Instead, you have to work the puzzle. We've given you many channels about what takes place when you move from a lower to a higher place. 
some of the habits, some of the biases, some of the things you don't even know you've done. There is one thing, however, which is common to most, something that has got to be cleared, not because there's old things attaching to it, something that has to be cleared because of who you are. And when you hear what it is, you'll know, but we've spoken of it before. So let's begin at the beginning. Things that you should know about yourself, not what you've been told is there. Things spiritually that are so true and beautiful that perhaps you've forgotten. Things that are not taught today in the spiritual systems that you have, not like this. I want to go back to the beginning and the beginning as I am going to see and say is with the teaching that began. Dear ones, you have a creation story all over the planet. Various cultures have various creation stories. The one that in this culture you may have grown up with, the most popular one, is very similar to the one that we teach as the seeding of the planet. So listen again for just a moment about this amazing thing that took place biologically, esoterically with humans about 200,000 years ago. There was a shift, a change, a major one. And if you wipe away all of the physics of it and the physicalness of it, what really took place was a beautiful switch, an implantation within the human being of discernment of light and dark. The knowledge for the first time of the creator Free choice to see it or not. Intuition. Beauty. Discernment. All of these things were new. There was a leap in evolution. 200,000 years ago. Designed. Not by accident. It is the creation story. It's in your holy scripture. Told perhaps differently. But it's there. The same story. That you are human beings, mammals like any other on the planet, and something happened. An angelic force came down. And with the, with the creation story, you heard it was the Adam, it was the Eve, it was the, the Garden of Eden. All metaphors, again, for what took place that we've told you about. Where you received the beautiful knowledge of light and dark, discernment, choice. It's all over the planet. So now I'm going to put you in the place of the creator, just for a moment. The question of like, what would you have done? 
Let's say that you have the mind of God. And let us say that you have seen this miracle. It's gone by design and you were watching it. What would you do next after the seeding had been complete? To give you a hint of where I'm going. Let us say you take a small child and you say, I'm going to give you something amazing and beautiful. I'm going to put you in a library with the knowledge of everything. And you can then choose between the books and then you go away and you say on the way out, oh, sorry, we never taught you to read. Thousands of books and you can't touch them. You don't know what's in them. So would it make more sense to have a creation story accompanied then by teaching? <laughs> and their scripture says nothing about that, nothing at all. So human beings are then given all of this and then left to fend for themselves. There is no teaching from the angel. Truly, scripture will tell you that the masters then came, and there were many of them. And through history and cultures, there were many of them. But the source that did the seeding, the angelic energy that had the, the force behind the creation story simply left. And you were on your own, and then the stories began that you hear. But my story is different. It's more logical that the seeding occurred and the teaching began. You cannot take that kind of a change, place it on humanity and walk away. Instead, we told you that those who gave you the seeds that were those from what you call the seven sisters, they stayed and they began the teaching. Now the actual seeding began a long time ago. Very, very gradual and much had to happen biologically before you got to a point where all were ready. And that was the 52,000 year point. There have been two cycles of the wobble of earth involved in humans civilization where you were there in a succinct enough way to create that which you've done. Everything leading up to 52,000 years ago was preparation. And then came Lemuria and then came other places on the planet where you were being taught, not just Lemuria, there was more. Lemuria was special because it was isolated. And that means it could last far, far longer without any kind of visitation in the 30,000 years that the Lemurians were Pleiadians and had Pleiadian teachers. So here we are, the teaching started when the seeding was complete.
You're not going to get that in scripture. You're going to have a creation story and then everybody's gone. That in itself, dear ones, does not make sense. It's not logical that God would put you in a place and give you this beautiful knowledge and then do nothing with it. No teaching, no instructions. It's almost like dark went to light and then the angels disappeared. That's not even logical, dear ones. No, there was teaching. And the first things that were taught, the first things with the teaching wheel of five spokes was, who are you? That is what the Pleiadians wanted you to know, where you were from, what this was about, how it works. All the teaching was there. The teaching of the return to the middle, the teaching that you have God inside, and the seeds of those who were teaching you. If the angels came down in the Garden of Eden and had Adam and Eve and did what you heard that they did, does it really make sense they didn't say to both of them, and now you have what we have? And now you have that which is light in you. And now you have a piece of the creator in you that we've just put in you. Use it wisely. Here are some hints. There was none of that that was given you. None of it. The truth is we stayed and taught. The creative source represented by the Pleiadians stayed and taught. And we taught a long time. Doesn't make sense to give you the library without teaching you to read. That's what we did. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you've lost something. And you need it back and you need it back quickly. One of the most beautiful aspects that you were taught. The Pleiadian mothers, you call them the star mothers, the teachers would sit, beautiful information would come out and they would tell the, till, tell the children, they would say, look at your mother, meaning the one who is the teacher. And they would say, I want you to gaze upon us because someday you will be us. We want you to gaze upon us from the stars because this is the lineage of earth. We want you to gaze on us and see the beauty of the God that created you is in us and is in you. We want you to understand that you will always return to the center. No matter how many lives you think you have, no matter how long you live, that it goes both ways. You come and go from this planet, the center. You come and go because this is the system. You see, you always return to the creation and then you go back and then you come and you go. It's beautiful. It's a push-pull system coming and going with the beauty of God inside. You are God. That was taught to the children. And they understood it. They understood it because they were looking at it. They saw it. The children became adults. The children's children learned the same thing. 
And off they went akashically to be born yet again in other places on the planet to carry this message and carry this message and carry this message. And over civilizations, dear ones, with free choice, human nature and the efficiency of dark and light began to be changed. And you know what happened. With free choice, darkness was chosen over light. So many of the civilizations destroyed themselves because they didn't understand anymore than darkness. Those who understood and still had that, that full experience of God inside were, were put aside and beat up. There was too much power in the light and the darkness knew it. And slowly you have what is that which you grew up in, dear ones. Civilization after civilization created much the same light and dark ratio. The light was hidden, put aside. It's interesting in every single civilization, something took place. Secret societies sprung up. And the secret societies had to hide the knowledge of God inside. But the darkness said, look, there is a secret society there. They must be doing evil things. There must be sorcery there. Don't go there. Don't believe it. The beginning of conspiracies, the beginning of darkness in every corner, the beginning of mistrust, even those who had the knowledge of God inside in a secret society were called the devil. And the darkness always seemed to win because human beings would then believe the worst in everything. That defines dark energy. And the beauty of God inside was suppressed. It's almost like you had a piece of gold shining like the sun that was you. And over time, the dirt and the dust got on it and the gold went away. And here you sit today with dusty gold. Now that's a metaphor for lack of self-worth. It's common. It's common not just with old souls. It's common for humans. For most of the humanity that has come and gone on this planet and reincarnated experienced this, just like you did. That to say that perhaps you were God or you had any powers or you knew how consciousness would work would be a death sentence. Even the shamans, the ones who could make the magic, the ones that would be turned to to change the weather, even they, were in trouble all the time. Because if something didn't go exactly right, then they were blamed and often terminated. Some of you were them. You are your own ancients, and in that old soul, some of you were them. Some of you were born spiritual 
with knowledge. And as soon as you were able to grow up and walk, you were actually following the same path yet again. Never ever believing your parents, never ever going to certain kinds of religious structural organizations. Others of you awakened later. But all of you have dusty gold. Lack of self-worth comes from lifetimes of not being believed, of having to cower in the dark. Some of you have awakened with the knowledge intuitively not to push the envelope of light, just to behave yourself. Don't come out of the closet too quickly or at all because you might face it again. But even the ones who've come out, even the ones who are teachers, even the ones who write the books, even the ones who sit in the chair and channel have dusty gold. The truth was given to you, old soul, by those who seated you. What you did with it, you get to look around and see. Morphed into rules, into negativity, into dysfunction, into many things. Even those who know the truth about the spoke of returning, about the original teaching, even if you know it, you've got dirty gold, dusty gold. In other words, in this room and listening to me, those humans who want to move forward so badly, those humans who say, yes, I'm seeing the light, still suffer from doubt, fear, and lack of self-worth. We know this. We know this. Now, I want you to cognize those words. Spirit, God, the creative source, anything you want to call it, knows of this issue and is ready to help you wipe away the dust so it can shine like the light. And all you have to do is start claiming it. And if you want something to imagine, if you want a visualization, use the one I've just given you. Old soul, you shine like the sun like pure gold polished so you can see your face in it. And I want you to consider for a moment what it would be like to simply take your hand, even without a cloth, and brush away the dirt and the dull gold, the dust and see in the gold your face. See the reflection of your own face in that. And the metaphor for you as you do it will be brushing away doubt brushing away that which is something that you can't really identify what's wrong inside when you don't believe in things what's wrong inside when you don't want to come along with a program of beauty or benevolence or compassion what's wrong inside what is it that blocks you from believing some of the things that are presented that's the dust on the gold it's history telling you it's not real. It's history that's telling you it's dark. It's history that's giving you conspiracies against it. It's all that you've been through. And right now, in this energy, in the light, that gold is waiting 
for you to simply brush the dust away. And when you do it, even when you begin to do it, even if you consider it, things start to change. If you want to grasp some of the principles that are given here by Cryon, in this chair, in the many chairs for 28 years, if you're ready to go to the next level, it's time to brush away the dust. Because that will be the catalyst for everything you've asked for. Oh, depressed one, I know who's here. I know who's listening. It is so difficult for you to climb out of this thing. Unless you do something, we know the issue. God is not in a vacuum on the other side of some black veil. God is not judging you for what you've done or what you haven't done. Instead, God is there next to you. Waiting and saying, brush it away, blow it away. Here's a cloth if you need it, but do it. And then you'll see who you are. Your face in the gold, the reflection of you, the image of love. The Pleiadian teachers taught the children that they were created in the image of love. That is the creator. They were created in the image and the beauty of compassion. That is the creator. That teaching is still with you. It's in your Akash. All you have to do is believe it and start brushing away the dirt, the dust, until you can see your reflection in it and say, I knew it. It's true. I am created in the image of love. Dear ones, this is going to be the major catalyst in this new energy for learning all the things you wish to learn. You cannot proceed much further and be in full and complete doubt of who you are. It doesn't happen quickly. It happens as slow or as fast as your past will allow it. Do you understand that? What have you experienced? What have you been taught? What has been drummed into you? For some, not much. For others, a lot. And so some will have to work harder at it. Oh, depressed one, I'm talking about you. But you have to know you have help. We are here. Spirit is here. Others around you are here to lift you up out of this depression and come to a place, listen to me, where you will never have the dust again. You will not go into depression again. The cycle that you're experiencing and have experienced all your life is over. I'm talking to somebody here. I'm talking also to several who are listening. The cycle will stop when you take the dust away and you finally see yourself as worthy to be on the planet. Not just worthy. You've got stuff to do.
How does it feel? To know that that is still there. You don't have to reach anywhere for it. You don't have to go anywhere for it. You don't have to study for it. Just blow the dust away. And what you're going to see is the beauty that you are. It's so much easier to see love and love yourself when you're not looking into something you can't even see a mirror that is so dark. How are you going to see yourself to even know who you are when you're looking at a mirror that has so much dirt on it? Brush it away. Start to see that mirror, that reflection, that gold of God in you. It never changed. Only history changed it. Only what you were told it changed it. And it's time to grow up and make your own decisions about who you are and what your relationship is to the universe, to the creator, to the God inside. Oh, beautiful one. Oh, magnificent human being. I know what that reflection looks like. Go do it. It's time. And so it is. So it is, everyone. Yes. We are all servants of peace. We are. that humans get beyond stupid <laughs> and find love. I'm the best teachers right here. Greetings, Mother. Greetings. In the line. Children. All <laughs> Greetings. In, In the, the light of the most radiant one. In the office of the Christ, and, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain and the Violet Flame. We ask at this time for love truth, peace, freedom, justice, and beauty for all that is to prevail on earth. 
we ask that knowledge of wisdom, true wisdom, come to the hearts and minds of humanity. Return to the oneness. That's all there is. And surrender it. Let it go. Anything that's not of love, let it go. And I pass this talking stick to you, Mother. We're here. Thank you. You're here. Here it comes. Reading Children of Ra. Greetings, Mother. We are in most interesting times. Not a curse, a blessing. This is the time, like you have heard, all the great silent watchers are here. The ancient masters, teachers, It is the gathering of the nations from every space-time moment. Right now, this energies that are pouring in from great central sun, lifting everything higher. And with it comes all the stuff that floats to the top of the soup. It is about this great transfiguration, changing of the signs. There is much unfolding in all the ways we can find as we look within the heart. Truth is one, paths are many. We are not the first to say this. Each day, with the light that is coming from great central sun, 
most magnificent as you can embrace the light each day it brings more of the qualities of crystalline energies after all we are changing from carbon to crystalline and it's happening right now in our bodies in all the systems that make up Gaia by Wamis. Much is taking place within ourselves to integrate these energies. We know it's not easy being here. Mm-hmm. This sure is it, Father. Not not really. But there's hope. There is infinite possibilities. Yes. Infinite probabilities of how this is changing right now as we embrace how we can share more love, divine wisdom, compassion for the most intense of times. We did not tell you this would be easy. We all knew how deep this would get. Or we thought we knew anyway. And it is this time that we're in where family from across light years upon light years. This is the place where we all get to work it out for the highest good <coughs> of all concerned. Gaia by Wamas is ascending and it is happening as we're sharing this brief moment 
in what you might call space-time. It is raising us up as we embrace the ascension energies through our high hearts. It gets easier. The words we would share about the events presently unfolding it is that right now the rainbow crystal diamond the crystalline children that are coming in that are here generation Z hmm as we enter this Aquarian age it's already happening the shift from me to we is occurring in most unique ways This moment here, we have seen these shifts before throughout the various yugas. It's a way we can speak about time. funny concept mm. after all there is no time all time is now mm-hmm. and as we experience more of this now There's less time to focus on the samsara. This is the imperative message that's unfolding within our own strands of DNA. As we can talk to our bodies, our strands of DNA 
they were sin. Everything is connected in what we call the force. And all the things that are unfolding at this moment is about us raising ourselves up to that crystalline awareness, clear mind. It's like the crystals themselves that are calling. It's what we can say Send more love to all the situations that are currently happening because that's how we shift it. It might sound like pie in the sky, yet it works. The quantum field has been reached more and more that is happening. Everyone experiences it. As we can embrace the oneness that is this now. There is joy in that experience of being just here now, being loved now. It is how we shift ourselves instantaneously across light years. All it takes is thought. It's where we're going. This is how we get to the place of a type two civilization, as it's been said, as we can really grok how magnificent we are with our thought form energies. There are no words. It just is that oneness. Many more places we must go this night.
<laughs> so, Mother, this transition time that what's what can we uh, engage in to use the power of love to shift consciousness uh, in this interim period? Focus on the rose-colored rays mm. coming in right now. Platinum lights, this yellow ray of wisdom. Emerald green healing. These colors shift the balance of what's happening right now as we approach this candle moss in the northern hemisphere. Hmm. Southern hemisphere getting ready for harvest. Fall, winter, as we approach the spring equinox, the energies are only going to get higher as we use the pink, the rose-colored rays right now for the situations at hand. It brings about tremendous healing and upliftment. A dark side is using as much as their fear factor can go. The more loose fear they can create. Right now, it feeds what's happening. This is imperative why we say it is in our best interest to use the rose-colored light. Think of rose-colored quartz crystals. by any other name arose, eh? Radiates in the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayon. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayon. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayah, Eliyahu, 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 Yodhe, Vodhe, Yava, Adonai, Vasu, Baragas. Namaste, Mother, Namaste. Hold on, just a small, little short moment, everybody.
blaze the violet fire. That's a good thing to do. And I just thought of, um, you know, our little animal friends. Uh, you know, they're just uh, such a healing energy for everybody in their lives. So let's just focus some some light on them. Hi, Rama. Hello. (laughs) Where did you go? Hmm. Hmm. Lots of uh, turquoise waters and seaweed and whale sounds that's I just remember being somewhere where the water was turquoise greenish blue and lots of seaweed and whale sounds many whale sounds and and those sounds bring tremendous healing to us at this time this is the message they're saying just focus on that energy that it can heal the heart in the most intense of times. Mm-hmm. I passed the talking stick. Thank you, Rama. And uh, thank you, Mother. And uh, let's really put this uh, situation as we witness it. Watch Amy here. It's a very intense scene. Uh, uh, let's remain divine neutrality for the highest good of all concern to come from this. Just want to remember, everybody gets a choice to come back here. It's quite an amazing time to live in. And forgiveness is the key. All right. I shall... Start this program. Here it comes. Just a moment here. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Thank you. 
Republican Governor Brian Kemp Thursday declared a state of emergency in response to mass protests that erupted after the police killing of environmental defender Manuel Tehran in Atlanta last week. The declaration gives Kemp the power to deploy up to 1,000 National Guard troops over the next 15 days to quell the mobilizations. Tehran, who went by the name Tortuguita, was shot dead by a SWAT team January 18th as officers violently raided an encampment of protesters opposed to Cop City, a proposed $90 million police training facility in a public forest in Atlanta. The Atlanta Community Press Collective tweeted, quote, the true emergency, however, is that law enforcement agencies across the country are killing people every day. Kemp's declaration of a state of emergency isn't about property damage at Saturday's protests at all. It's about police murdering Tyree Nichols and Tortuguita within two weeks of each other. They're trying to instill fear in anyone who stands up against police brutality, unquote. In Haiti. Police officers blocked streets in the capital Port-au-Prince Thursday, burning tires and damaging vehicles before descending on the main airport to protest the recent killing of 14 officers by armed gangs. Over 100 officers in plain clothes took part in the protest. Local media report a small group was able to break through the gates of Prime Minister Ariel Henry's home, but then rerouted to the airport where Henry was returning from the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, or CELA. Summit in Argentina. This is a protester. We are going to attack all the ministers, all the directors general. The children have to go to school for this revolution to take place. There has to be a bloodbath. All these policemen have been killed, and the prime minister has not reacted to pay tribute to them. According to local groups, armed gangs now control some 60% of Port-au-Prince. An estimated 78 police officers have been killed since Prime Minister Henri, who is backed by the United States, came to power in 2021 following the assassination of Haiti's former president. Henri had close links to a prime suspect in the assassination. Israeli air attacks hit the occupied Gaza Strip overnight as tensions mount one day after Israeli forces killed nine Palestinians in a raid in the Jenin refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. Israel's airstrikes came down on the besieged Strip after a handful of rockets were fired from Gaza, some of which were intercepted by Israel's U.S.-funded Iron Dome defense system. The Palestinian Authority said it's ending security coordination with Israel following the attack, while the U.N. Security Council is holding an emergency meeting today amidst fears of another war. Thousands of people flooded the streets of Jenin Thursday to mourn the nine people killed. In Gaza, Palestinians protested the deadly attack. I want to send a message to the Jewish occupiers. Gaza stands with Jenin and Jerusalem, overcoming the humiliation and siege. Salute from Gaza to Jenin. Israel has killed at least 29 Palestinians, including five children, since the start of the year. The violence comes as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is headed to Egypt, Israel, and the occupied West Bank for a three-day visit this weekend. 
Here in the United States, dozens of Democratic Congress members are urging President Biden to reverse the expansion of Title 42, a Trump-era pandemic policy that's been used to block over 2 million migrants from seeking asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. In a letter to Biden, the 77 House Democrats also denounced the administration's proposal to enact a new rule that would allow immigration officials to deny asylum claims of people who don't first seek refuge in a country they pass or on the way to the U.S. southern border. Earlier this month, the Biden administration expanded Title 42 to begin expelling Haitian, Nicaraguan, and Cuban asylum seekers. Congressmember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called out Biden at a news conference Thursday. We have sought and aspired to be an example to uphold international law. Instead, this administration is making it effectively impossible to seek refuge at our border. The courts rightly rejected the Trump administration's attempt to categorically end asylum. President Biden should listen to the courts and human rights activists and reverse course. A damning new report by the New York Times reveals how Donald Trump and the Justice Department's efforts to prove the former president was the victim of a witch hunt in the FBI's Russia probe instead led the Justice Department to open a criminal probe into Trump's possible financial crimes. Details of that probe remain unknown, and special counsel John Durham, who was appointed by Attorney General Bill Barr to look into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation, did not uncover any major conspiracies against Trump. But Barr repeatedly pressured Durham to uncover flaws in the Russia investigation, and Durham relied on questionable information in pursuit of an outcome favorable to Trump and his narrative of a hoax. This included suspicious Russian intelligence claims, which were used to gain access to the emails of an executive of George Soros's Open Society Foundation. Durham obtained the emails even after a federal judge denied his request to subpoena them. John Durham is currently working on the final report of the Trump-Russia investigation. Chevron has announced plans to repurchase $75 billion in its own stock, angering consumer advocates who accuse the oil giant of price gouging, even as it helps to accelerate the climate crisis. The stock buyback came as Chevron reported record profits in 2022 after Russia's invasion of Ukraine helped drive up the cost of fuel. This week, Senate Democrats reintroduced the Fair and Transparent Gas Prices Act, which would crack down on unfair practices by fossil fuel companies. In the Netherlands, police arrested six climate activists in their homes Thursday, charging them with incitement over their roles in planning nonviolent civil disobedience actions. Their arrest came ahead of Saturday's planned peaceful blockade of a highway next to the Dutch parliament in The Hague. The group Extinction Rebellions demanding an immediate end to $19 billion in annual fossil fuel subsidies. In more climate news, over 450 environmental and human rights groups have condemned the appointment of an oil company executive to lead COP28 UN Climate Summit in the United Arab Emirates later this year. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber heads the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Members of the Kick Big Polluters Out Network wrote in an open letter to top UN officials, quote, 
There is no honor in appointing a fossil fuel executive who profits immensely off of fueling the climate crisis to oversee the global response to climate change. That such a move could ever be seen to be legitimate amidst an intensifying climate crisis where millions of lives and ecosystems are on the line exemplifies just how insidious big polluter stranglehold over climate policy is, they wrote. The International Criminal Court says it will resume its investigation into the possible crimes against humanity committed as part of former Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte's brutal war on drugs. The probe was suspended in November 2021 after Filipino officials said they were conducting their own review of the crimes. The ICC accused Philippine authorities of failing to take meaningful steps to investigate or prosecute the killings. A United Nations report found at least 8,600 people were killed in the so-called drug war unleashed by Duterte, with some estimates suggesting the true toll could be three times higher. Police often falsified evidence to justify the unlawful killings. And in California, the 66-year-old farm worker charged with killing seven co-workers Monday at two mushroom farms told a Bay Area TV station he wasn't in his right mind on the day of the shootings. In a jailhouse interview with KNTV, Chen Li Zhao said he was bullied and forced to work long hours on the farms and that his complaints went ignored. The farm where Zhao killed four of his victims had a separate shooting last summer. In that altercation, one manager was charged with attempting to murder another manager after he fired a bullet into the man's trailer. The bullet went on to strike the mobile home of one of the workers who was killed in Monday's mass shooting. In Washington, D.C., President Biden repeated his call for Congress to reinstate a federal ban on assault weapons and warned against rising anti-Asian hate. Biden's remarks came at a White House reception for the Lunar New Year just days after 11 people were killed at a Lunar New Year celebration in the majority Asian Los Angeles suburb of Monterey Park. Silence is complicity. Silence is complicity. We cannot be silent. I will not be silent. And one more thing, we're going to ban assault weapons again and buy again. According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 40 mass shootings across the United States so far in 2023. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. Coming up, we go to Memphis, where five former police officers have been arrested and charged with murder and kidnapping for fatally beating 29-year-old Tyree Nichols after a traffic stop. Stay with us. Surrenders, we're sick of the 
Democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show in Memphis, Tennessee. On Thursday, five fired police officers were arrested and charged with murder and kidnapping in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols, 29-year-old African-American man. Nichols died on January 10th of kidney failure and cardiac arrest, three days after his violent arrest following a traffic stop. His family shared a shocking photo of Tyree from his hospital bed shortly before he died. He was violently bruised and on a breathing tube. Earlier today, Memphis Police Chief C.J. Davis told CNN she has seen no evidence police even had a legitimate reason to stop Nichols' vehicle. On Thursday night, a candlelight vigil was held in Memphis. Tyree Nichols was a father of a young son, an amateur photographer, and a longtime skateboarder. He'd worked at FedEx for the past nine months. On Thursday, Shelby County District Attorney Steve Mulroy outlined the charges against the five police officers. Second degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping resulting in bodily injury, aggravated kidnapping involving the possession of a weapon, official misconduct through unauthorized exercise of power, official misconduct through failure to act when there is a duty imposed by law, and official oppression. While each of the five individuals played a different role in the incident in question, the actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols, and they are all responsible. All five officers charged are African-American. They were part of what's known as the Scorpion Unit, which stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. The five officers were all fired earlier this month after Tyree Nichols' death. The five officers were booked into the Shelby County Jail Thursday. Bail was set between 250000 and 350000 for all five. Two Memphis firefighters have also been relieved of duty while an internal investigation takes place. Memphis and other cities are now bracing for mass protests over the police killing of Tyree Nichols. Memphis is expected to release police body cam video at 6 p.m. Memphis time that shows the five officers pepper spraying, tasing, kicking and beating Nichols for three minutes. David Rausch, the director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, said the video is, quote, absolutely appalling. I'm sickened by what I saw. And what we've learned through our extensive and thorough investigation. I've seen the video, and as you morally stated, you will too. In a word... It's absolutely appalling. Let me be clear. What happened here does not at all reflect proper policing. This was wrong. This was criminal. Earlier in the week, Antonio Romanucci, an attorney for Tyree Nichols' family, described what he saw in the video. As he spoke, Tyree's mother behind him began sobbing. He was defenseless 
the entire time. He was a human pinata for those police officers. It was an unadulterated, unabashed, non-stop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh my God. That is what we saw in that video. Oh my God, his mother cried out as the lawyer spoke. Ben Crump, another attorney for Tyree Nichols' family, said Tyree was calling out for his mother while the police beat him. The last words on the video, he's only about 80 to 100 yards from his house. And he calls for his mom three times. Mom, he's called for his mom. He said, "Where's the humanity? Where's the humanity?" Trump had his arm around Tyree Nichols' mother, Rovon Wells, who also spoke at the news conference. My son, I know everybody said that mother said they had a good son, everybody's son is good. But my son, he actually was a good boy. He was I don't know anything right now. All I know is my son Tyree is not here with me anymore. He will never walk through that door again. He will never come in and say Hello, parents, because that's what he would do. He would come in and say, hello, parents. We go now to Memphis, where we're joined by Amber Sherman. She's a community organizer and a member of the official Black Lives Matter Memphis chapter. Amber is also the host and creator of the podcast, The Law, According to Amber. Amber, thanks so much for joining us in these deeply horrifying times, especially in Memphis right now. You were there last night at the protest. Can you first respond to how you found out about what's happened and what your reaction is, what you're calling for? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I found out about what happened to Tyree from other organizers um, because um, honestly, um, violence by police happens so much in Memphis that I feel it doesn't even reach mainstream media. Oftentimes, um, Tyree's um, untimely death was the fourth time someone had been murdered by police in the last two months since December. Um, so we're definitely not a, a, a place that's you know used to experiencing that kind of violence. Um, and I was horrified to hear that five people were involved um, and literally beating someone to death is extremely disgusting, but it's also not a surprise considering the way that police here treat people in Memphis. Uh, we are extremely over-policed. Every experience that my friends have had and folks that I know has been violent. They may immediately approach situations with violence. They don't give us the respect that they want us to give them. Um, it's always, you're a criminal. And how can we put you down? Or how can we put you in your place? So I'm wondering if you can tell us then about the response of uh, a Memphis officialdom. Uh, for example, the police chief, who is an African-American woman, been there, what, for about a year and a half, C.J. Davis, said what she saw was heinous, reckless, inhumane, 
and horrific. And interestingly, in an interview she did today, she said, uh, though she couldn't see it on body cam footage, the reason for the traffic stop, they, they claimed uh, he was driving recklessly. She said when she looked at all the video around, as they can look in at a community, she couldn't even see that. What do you think of, to say the least, not only the police chief, but um, all of these officials from Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, et cetera, saying this was criminal, heinous, uh, you know, inhumane. Does, is that consistent with your experience of how they deal with um, issues of police brutality in the community? Yes. Um, I mean, like folks have been saying over the past few years, um, this experience um, among black people isn't abnormal. It's literally just being caught on camera. We have experienced this same kind of violence over and over and over again in our communities. And their cute little statements don't mean anything to me because the scrubbing unit still exists. The different task force unit still exists. Unless she's willing to take some action, honestly, she can keep the cute statements. It does nothing for us. So you talked about the Scorpion unit. Um, again, if you can explain what that is, just set up uh, in the last two years. Um, and also talk about your confrontation with the Memphis mayor, Strickland, a few days ago. Yeah, the Scorpion unit is another task force unit that we have here. Um, so Memphis has several task force units from the multi-level gang unit, the organized crime unit, and now the Scorpion unit, which is another type of organized crime task force. And the goal of it was that they would blood high crime areas with all of these officers. The Scorpion unit um, has teams of eight people. So they will flood this, the, those areas with high crime with all these officers, and that's supposed to deter the crime. That is definitely not what's happening. That's what hasn't been happening this entire time. They're scaring citizens, they're assaulting people, and they're murdering them. And I approached the mayor because he essentially has the power to make those decisions within uh, around policy for the police department or to push Sinead Davis to make those changes. And I think it's deplorable for them to host an award ceremony in honor of MLK or MLK Day when MLK would have been in the streets with us. MLK would have been calling for justice for Tyree too. We wouldn't have been hosting cute events with shrimp and lobster and uh, waffles and giving out little awards. Like, that's not what he stood for. And this is a, a common pattern with this mayor. He ignores things um, that shouldn't be ignored. And until people run up on him, put a camera to his face and call him out and interrogate him on how he should be responding to incidents, he doesn't do anything. And even now, he hasn't done anything. He's put out cute statements with. He hasn't done anything either, just like the police chief. So can you talk about these five police officers? Um, a 2016 lawsuit says one of them accused in Tyree's beating allegedly assaulted a prisoner. What do you know of their records? Um, so we don't have specifics around their records because as a part of the demands the family has and that we have as a community, we've been asking for those files to be released and we'll continue to be asking for those files to be released. But what I can say is that that behavior um, of officers isn't abnormal. And I think it's disgusting that we as, a, as citizens of a majority black city um, have these police officers um, intruding on us on our regular everyday lives 
and we can't get the basic things we've been asking for, but we can get more and more police officers. And that's what the mayor has pushed for. The mayor has pushed for limiting residency requirements so the people who live further away can become police officers. They've offered bonuses. They've used a lot of the COVID funding for policing, but they haven't actually addressed any of the real reasons why we have um, crime, higher crime rates in certain areas. The information we have on the 2016 lawsuit said that one of the officers accused in Tyree's murder um, uh, allegedly assaulted a prisoner. Officer Demetrius Haley was one of three correction officers at the time, reportedly involved in the assault of the prisoner Cordarius Sledge in Shelby County, an assault that left him unconscious. Sledge later filed a lawsuit, but a judge dismissed it in 2018, saying Sledge did not properly serve one of the defendants with a summons, Amber. Yeah, I did hear about that lawsuit, and I honestly would not be surprised considering the way that our pre-trial detention center um, and, and the prison here um, operate. Our sheriff does not do a good job. We have critiqued him on that several times, um, and he has continued to ignore it. We've raised concerns about how people are being treated in the jail, in the prison, and He's continuing to ignore those concerns as well. So I definitely would not be surprised if someone was experiencing that kind of violence and assault. Amber, you're wearing a shirt that says humanize being black. I can't see the second line of your shirt. Um, if you can talk about what the plans are now for protest as you were at the protest last night, the vigil, I should say. Um, Tyree's mother calling for peace tonight. Your response to all of this? Yeah, the shirt says humanized being black over and over and over again. Um, but what I will say is, I think it's interesting when folks call for peace um, from us, especially who live here, when the only ones being violent are the police. We've never had protests that weren't peaceful. And the years that I've um, been organizing and the years that I've participated in protests, they've always been peaceful. The police escalate things. The police are the reason why we're in the streets in the first place because they are so violent. And so I always implore people, especially businesses who um, push the fear mongering by closing their businesses early and um, police who heavily flood areas on horses and putting up gates and things like that to actually hone in on, on who's the real violent person here. Five officers beat someone to death not citizens. And so asking us to remain peaceful when the city and, and the city's public service and employees aren't peaceful to us is one, unrealistic, but two, just not true because we haven't ever had a process that wasn't peaceful. KRCA in Sacramento spoke to Tyree Nichols' sister, Kiana Dixon, and his brother, Jamal Dupre, after they learned from family members what the police body camera video showed. For this to happen to him in this way, the pain is just, it's, it's, I have no words. Listen to how my stepfather played it out. It was horrific. Going from my mom, out of all five officers, nobody decided to say, hey, this is not cool. Like, let's, let's back up here. That's KCRA in Sacramento, the interview with Tyree's brother and sister. Um, talk about what's going to happen tonight. The police body cam will be released at 6 Memphis time. That's 7 uh, Eastern time. Uh, what do you understand you will see? What did it take to get this video released, Amber? 
it definitely took a lot of uh, on the ground organizing, pressuring um, the folks in charge. I definitely believe that if we hadn't um, had the protests on Saturday um, about over a week ago, we hadn't shown up at City Hall in the payday, and we had to continue to show up at the DA's office and hope to sit in, and we have to continue to, to pull up on people who uh, are not responding to us, then we definitely wouldn't be getting that video footage. But I do want to be clear, I don't need a video to know that Tyree was viciously murdered. And I don't ever um, encourage black people to experience that kind of trauma over and over again by watching those types of videos. Um, I tell people over and over again, anything that happens tonight will be in support of the family demands, which are still haven't been answered. Um, they charge five officers, but there are more people involved. They quietly fire people that they won't name. So we definitely want to continue to uplift those demands, but we don't need to see a video to do that. I've seen a picture of what Tyree looked like before he was attacked and Tyree in the hospital. That's enough. I want to go back to Shelby County District Attorney Steve Mulroy describing the traffic stop that led to Tyree's death. There was an initial traffic stop. We won't comment right now on the presence or absence of legality at the stop, but there was a traffic stop. And there was an initial altercation uh, involving several officers and Mr. Nichols. Um, pepper spray was deployed. Uh, the uh, suspect, not the suspect, Mr. Nichols, uh, fled on foot. <clears throat> there was another altercation uh, at a nearby location at which the, the, the serious injuries uh, were experienced by Mr. Nichols. After some period of time of um, waiting around afterwards, he was taken away by an ambulance. Beyond that, I don't really think I we should go into any further details. So there was a delay in the call. The police delayed calling the There was a, there was an elapsed period of time, but I believe that if you watch the video, you'll be able to make that judgment for yourself. We want to thank you, Amber Sherman, community organizer, member of the official Black Lives Matter Memphis chapter. Amber is host and creator of the podcast, The Law According to Amber. And Amber, I hope we get to talk to you again next week. We'll keep people updated at democracynow.org on what happens this weekend. Thank you so much. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. When we come back, we'll be joined by Ben Crump, one of the lawyers for the family of Tyree Nichols. He's in Memphis. Stay with us. Judge of the color the structure was made to make.
saved by her. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman as we continue today's show in Memphis, Tennessee. Again, on Thursday, five fired police officers have been arrested and charged with murder and kidnapping in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old African-American man who weighed barely 150 pounds. He died on January 10th of kidney failure and cardiac arrest, three days after his violent arrest following a traffic stop just blocks from his home. His family shared a shocking photo of Tyree from his hospital bed shortly before he died. He was violently bruised and on a breathing tube. The family wanted everyone to see that photograph. Earlier today, the Memphis police chief, C.J. Davis, told CNN that she actually did not see evidence police even had a legitimate reason to stop Nichols' car. He was a father of a young son, an amateur photographer, a longtime skateboarder, worked at FedEx for the past nine months. We're joined right now by Tyree's mom, by Tyree's mother, Rovon Wells, and his stepfather, Rodney Wells, as well as the family's attorney, Ben Crump. Our deepest, deepest condolences to you. Um, Rovon, we have seen you trying to be a part of these news conferences as you break down. Have you seen, and I can't even imagine what this is like, to watch this, the video of your son, his last words crying out for you. Well, actually, I haven't seen the video. Um, I saw what the police officers did to my son when I seen him in the hospital. I don't need to see how, I don't need to see them do it. I saw the end results. Mr. Wells saw the video, Miss. Wells could not, after the first moments, she left the room. She couldn't take it because that was her baby. If Rodney Wells, you could tell us what you saw. This is what the world will see today at six your time, Memphis time. Um, this video, I'm so sorry you had to witness this. Of course, not as sorry is for what actually it shows the death of your son. Um, what I saw was the police brutalizing my son. Um, they didn't have to do that. Uh, he didn't deserve that. Uh, he was a very, very good kid, and I didn't uh, understand why they had to beat him the way that they did. Um, it was just very, very horrific. I'm glad my wife didn't see it because she didn't deserve to see that either. Um, it was just troubling. Tyree was just a few blocks from his home? No, he was a few houses from the home. He was about 80 feet from his house. And uh, it makes sense why his last words on this earth is he's yelling out for his mother, gut-wrenching cries for his mother. When did you learn what happened, Rovon Wells? Um, did, did, because he was so close to his home. 
police officers came to the door and asked if I knew my son. I said yes. They said, well, do you know Tyree Nichols? And I said yes. They proceeded to tell me that he had been arrested for a DUI. That was quite confusing because my son don't drink like that. Um, they then proceeded to tell me that he was being attended to by the paramedics because they had to taste and pepper spray him. I asked where my son was. They told me he was nearby. So at the time, I didn't know where this had all transpired until further reports came out. Once we left the house, my husband and I went to go see if we could find our son, and we found his car a couple blocks away with the undercover police officers there. Um, we got a call from the physician telling me to come to the hospital. About four in the morning. Yes. Around four in the morning, I got a call from the physician telling me to get to the hospital quickly. My son had went into cardiac arrest and his kidneys were failing. I didn't understand that because they only told me he was pepper sprayed and tased. But when I when we got to the hospital, the picture that everybody sees, that's what we saw. Tell us about Tyree Rovan Wells and Rodney Wells. Please join in. Um, you, the two of you um, telling us first, I mean, just a physical description. Um, how much did he weigh? Tyree was 6'3". He weighed about a buck 50. Tyree has Crohn's disease, so he manages it with his diet. So he doesn't eat as much as normal people. So he's a, he was fairly light. That's why this is so troubling to me, because you had five officers combined weight of over a thousand pounds beating up on a young man that's only above 50 where how did they fear for their lives in order for this to happen i'm not i'm still trying to understand that and, and, and let me make it clear amy uh what we have seen that transpired with these charges being levied so quickly should now be the blueprint of what happens when you see police officers commit crimes on video against citizens. And we saw the Memphis Police Department, the district attorney, terminate these five black officers and charge them with less than 20 days. And so when we think about all these other cases where this Terrence Crutcher, Fernando uh, Castile, I mean, so many of them, both of Gene, they can't have this excuse now 
and say, we need six months, we need a year, when you have evidence on video of the crime. Because it should be equal justice that we have swift justice, not just when it's five black officers, when it's any police officer that engage in excessive use of force against citizens, unarmed citizens. Now, the police officers uh, can get out on bail, right, on bond. They, between, I think three have been charged, um, will have to raise $250,000, two of them $350,000. At least they're expected to get out. Um, Rovan and Rodney Wells, your response to them being free? They're to bail. They're innocent until proven guilty. Hmm. So what do you understand, Ben Crump? Um, you've described uh, he was beaten. What else is seen? Did you yourself see the video? I did, yes. So uh, what happens at the end? Tragically, the video is going to remind many people of Rodney King. Uh, but unlike Rodney King, Rovan and Rodney's son, Tyreek does not survive. I mean, at the end of that video, he called out for his mother, his last words on this earth. You see him sit, they set him up handcuffed against the police car. And then you see his body fall to the right side. After a minute or so, they, they sit him back upright and then you see his body fall to the left side. And then they pick him back up upright, and he falls on the ground, and he's moaning. It's obvious he's in distress. And what you want is them to display an ounce of humanity and, and try to render some aid to this human being that is in distress. But you don't see that. And on top of all of the escalation that we saw earlier in the video where they are using such profane language against him and they're punching him and kicking him. You are saying, when is somebody going to display humanity? And that's what's troubling because you don't see it on that video, even as he's going in and out of consciousness, handcuffed on the ground against a police car. Now, five, uh, two fire department employees have also been relieved of duty. The five cops have been fired and uh, jailed now. But do you know what role they played? Well, based on what Mr. Wells and I and uh, all the other people who watched the video, we saw that these fire department uh, officials came on the scene and for several minutes, they're just standing around too talking while Tyree is in obvious distress. When you watch this video, you're going to be able to see that he needs medical attention and nobody is trying to render aid. And I believe that is why these fire department officials are also being investigated uh, in this matter. They. They did not do what they were supposed to do in the sense that they were supposed to be first responders that respond first to a person's health and welfare. 
Rohan and Rodney Wells, um, you were with your son in the hospital as he hovered between life and death for three days, died on January 10th. This is two weeks later. Um, Rohan Wells, you have said that police tried to cover this up. Can you explain um, how you feel they did this? I'm just going to say this. From the initial time that they came to my door and the things that they were saying, and then the information that I am receiving, I feel like they tried to start covering it up when they came to my door. And that's just from the information that I am receiving right now and the initial contact with the police when they came to my door. Yes. a four-year-old son. Tell us more about who he was, um, about his skateboarding prowess, um, working at FedEx, coming home for lunch uh, each day to you. Just talk about how you want us to remember him. I want you to remember Tyree. Tyree was, he was different. Tyree didn't follow everyone. He was his own leader. Um, he had a beautiful soul, and he touched everyone. The boy smiled all the time. He loved his mother's cooking. He loved his son. That's why he came to Memphis in the first place, to be with his mom, build a better life, for him and his son. But Memphis took my son away from me. Tyree had a tattoo of you on his arm? He had my name, on a tattoo of my name on his arm. Now, when this video is released, um, it will be shown. And I'm asking you for direction now, the two of you, Rodney and Rovon Wells. Do you want us to show the video of your son's, uh, of the beating of your son? Uh, yes, we do want you to show the video, but in that same respect, we want protesters to do it peacefully. We don't need riots or looting. That's not going to bring our son back. That's not what he stood for. He's a peaceful person, and we're a peaceful family. Uh, so if you want to riot, just protest. I mean, if you want to protest, just protest peacefully. Uh, we do not need no uproar. We don't need no looting and, and burning. And, you know, don't destroy your own city. That's not what we're about or ourselves about. Will you be part of the vigils and the protests, Rovan and Rodney Wells? Yes. They're standing with the community uh, because the community stands with them. Yes. And what is your message to the local officials? I mean, many of them, including the police chief, C.J. Davis, an African-American woman, has said that what took place was heinous. Um, uh, she also set up the Scorpion unit, of which these five police officers were part, she said, to deal with violence in uh, people's the community. Um, your message to them right now, and to President Biden as well, who also spoke about the killing of Tyree Nichols. Well, we say thank you to the police chief, uh, Davis. Uh, she, when she first encountered the family, she told 
Miss Wells and Mr. Wells, she was not engaging them just as a chief, but she was engaging them as a mother, a mother of black children, and that her heart breaks uh, for them. And she wasn't proud of anything she saw in that video by these officers. So we're thankful to them. Uh, we thank President Biden for uh, his comments that this family deserves justice, uh, just as all Americans do. And we are very grateful to everybody who has demonstrated uh, the respect and dignity for Tyree Nichols' life that those police officers did not do on January 7th. And so we thank you, Amy, for covering this important matter, and we're going to let the family uh, continue to prepare for the day. Thank and Rovon and Rodney Wells, again, our deepest condolences. And Ben, if you have one minute, I wanted to ask you about another case. It's hard to believe at this moment that you're dealing with, and that is uh, Patrice Culler's cousin, Keenan Anderson, also stopped at a traffic stop in Los Angeles. Yeah, it, it seems to be no matter what, when it's a person of color, that they do the most. I mean, he's handcuffed and they still tase him six or seven times within 42 seconds. We believe uh, causing his heart to be electrocuted. And he was a 31 year old teacher. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking, all these tragedies. And you had some minority officers involved in that tragedy in Los Angeles, which underscores, Amy, what I've said uh, recently, dealing with these officers who killed Tyree Nichols, who are all African-American. What I have learned in my almost 25 years of doing civil rights law all across America, that it is not the race of the police officers that are the determining factor whether they're going to engage in excessive use of force, but it is the race of the citizen. And oftentimes it is black citizens and brown citizens who get the brunt of police brutality. Uh, we don't see videos of our white brothers and sisters who are unarmed being levied with this type of excessive force that you're going to see from Robin and Rodney's side. You don't have this type of brutality uh, against white citizens, what you see on Keenan Anderson, uh, Keenan Anderson in Los Angeles for a traffic interaction where they end up dead. You just don't see that in America. And so this is a blueprint, Amy Goodman, that now, what we saw them do in Memphis with the termination of these five black officers and charging them in less than 20 days based on the crimes they witnessed on that video, it should happen everywhere for all these cases that we've talked so much about, whether it's Botham Gene in Dallas, Texas, whether it's Church Crunch in Tulsa, Oklahoma, whether it's Philando Castile in Minneapolis, Minnesota, whether it's Pamela Turner in Houston, Texas, all of them deserve swift justice, and it should not matter if the officers are white or black. But we saw how 
swiftly justice can happen because how they charge these five black officers. I'm just wondering if uh, Rovon um, uh, wants to see uh, Rovon Wells, uh, if you mm -hmm. want to see Memphis officials are marching with you, the, the police chief, the mayor, uh, the FBI, the Justice Department, if you want to see President Biden marching with you. We want everybody standing up for justice. We want everybody standing up for justice, I mean. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Ben, uh, one last question, because you're maybe about to bring a lawsuit in Florida around uh, Black Studies AP course being banned by Governor DeSantis. One of the issues he raises is that issues like police brutality um, uh, cast aspersions on police, uh, that he doesn't want to see Black Lives Matter subjects raised in high schools. You held a news conference in your hometown of Tallahassee. Can you talk about that and how that links into this larger story? Well, obviously, it, it has a profound effect on uh, police uh, interaction with citizens uh, from the black community, and we have to talk about the history of America, all the history. We can't have them do a watered-down version of history. Our children, black children, white children, Hispanic children, everybody needs to learn all history, learn that there's value in all our history and culture, and especially African-American history. And so that's why we gave notice of intent to sue Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida uh, if he tries to prohibit African-American advanced placement uh, courses being taught in the state of Florida because our children have to understand from the beginning that black history is American history. The great Negro uh, educator Carter G. Woodson, known as the father of uh, black history said that if a race has no history, if a race has no traditions that are respected and taught to the youth, then that race becomes a negligible thought in the world that can be eliminated from the world. And we want that Governor Ron DeSantis or anybody eliminate our black history and culture from being taught in the schools in Florida or in the schools anywhere in America because our black history matters. Ben Crump, we want to thank you so much for being with us. And again, Rovon and Rodney Wells, our deepest, deepest condolences. That does it for our show. Please spread the word that democracynow.org is here on the ground. I'm Amy Goodman. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. In today's program, we'll be talking about a fundamental crisis in the relationships economic between the United States and Western Europe, challenging that alliance in the profoundest way. We'll be talking about public pensions for tens of millions of Americans that are heading into an era of serious trouble. 
We'll look at the boast of the GM CEO about electric cars that GM is planning for the next decade or so. We'll look at how thousands of elementary school kids below the fifth grade have interactions with the police these days. And we'll talk about the passing of American radical Staunton Lind. Okay, let's jump right in. I want to talk about a crisis building but below the radar in the relationship between the United States and Western Europe. Uh, it's been coming for a long time. It is about to explode. And one of the things bringing it to an exploding point is the war in Ukraine. But let me go back a little bit and talk about it because it's so important. European countries understand exquisitely clearly that one empire of capitalism is going down and another one is rising. They know the United States' empire is shrinking and the empire of the People's Republic of China is emerging. They know that the United States is trying to block, slow, or maybe even in its fantasy, reverse this course of history. But the Europeans understand they better figure out where they're going to end up or else they'll be sacrificed in the tensions between the United States and the People's Republic of China. Keep that in your mind because everything you read about economics in Europe from now on is really about that. Ten years ago, the French, acutely aware of this because of their efforts, sometimes successful, to be a bit independent of the United States after World War II, uh, they're a bit more developed in France and in other parts of Europe. 25 years ago, they therefore established, and when I say they, I mean some of the biggest financial and economic interests in French capitalism, established a school in Paris called the École de Guerre Économique, the School of Economic Warfare. Wow. It had a leading thinker who writes much for them and who has come to represent them, and his is a name you ought to know as well, Christian Harbulo. Here's what they are basically arguing, that the United States has, if not at the top of its agenda, very nearly the top, to save and develop its empire, its economy, at the expense of Europe, not just the expense of China and Russia and those demarcated publicly as enemies. No, the allies too. The United States, as they like to point out, is willing to fight to the last French soldier, to the last French politician, to the greatest cost to the French economy. One of the things they pointed to recently has been the decision by the Biden administration to offer subsidies to all kinds of goods brought to the United States if instead of being brought to the United States, they were produced here. This is a direct threat to the French, the Germans, the Italians, the Swiss, the Swedish, all of them, because they risk being, and this is the word they use, 
deindustrialized to favor the United States as it struggles unsuccessfully with the People's Republic of China. The argument is widely heard that the collapse of Great Britain, its descent into a level of irrelevance and poverty and economic marginality that creates the need for the United States to have a new servant ally within Europe, somebody especially close to the U.S. The U.K. represented that in the past. The French believe the Germans are angling to replace the British in playing this role. Tensions are building. Europe feels threatened by it in its biggest capitalist centers by the United States' effort to cope unsuccessfully, in their view, with the dangers of China. And they are not going to break their relations with China at all. We may not think about it much, but we ought to. Millions, tens of millions of Americans are public employees protected by public pensions. And by the way, this is true for many private employees as well with pensions. The pension money taken out of the check every week, that's invested for you by whoever runs your pension. And those investments have been increasingly of two kinds. The majority still invested in stocks and bonds. But a growing amount, 1.3 trillion at the latest count, has been put into alternative investments, not listed on stock exchanges. These are hedge funds, private equity funds, real estate funds. Knowing what they're actually worth is very difficult. Even the people involved in them can't really tell you. So we don't know how well they're doing. We don't know whether the pension assets are sufficient to pay for the pensions that they are legally obligated to give to the workers who put their money in there every week. The stock market is down this year. The NASDAQ, the most important one, down 30%. The Dow, the big one, the old New York Stock Exchange, down 10%. And who knows what those alternate investments are doing. If money was put into the crypto system, which some pensions did, well, we know where that's ended up. Zero is what much of that is now worth. Problem. Pensions are something that tens of millions of Americans rely on. Social security is at best a help. Social security has its problems, but what's not understood is that the private pension with the squeeze on the American empire is in trouble too. Recently, the CEO at General Motors, Mary Barra, boasted that GM plans to produce and try to sell 20, excuse me, 1 million electric vehicles starting by 2025. I just want to remind everyone all rational analyses will tell you all that the best way, the cheapest way, the least polluting way to handle the transportation of the mass of Americans is by means of quality mass transport. Trains, planes, 
buses, uh, all of that, not by the private automobile, which let's remember, sits idle the vast majority of the time on the street, in the garage, etc. Therefore, mass transportation is what we need. Many fewer people are hurt and killed, much less insurance mess from it, much less pollution. I mean, it's just better every which way. But we're not going to have a mass transportation system. It isn't being built up. Nothing comparable is being done for that as compared with subsidies, whether they be for the computer chips that go into the car or subsidies for building the cars here in the United States. General Motors is going to the, yeah, individual private car electric instead of uh, gasoline. And why? Very simple. There's lots of profit for General Motors in a private electric vehicle system of transportation. There's much less profit for a mass public transportation system. So we don't get what's needed, what's useful, what's logical, and what serves the future. We get what serves the profit interests of a tiny corporation that involves many, many fewer people than those who will be negatively affected. Keep the story in mind the next time you hear about how capitalism is efficient. The next story was so painful for me to hear that part of me said, don't bring it up. Strictly speaking, it's not economics. We try to focus on economics here, as you all know. But this one touches economics and has to be spoken about. During the last few years, something on the order of 1,000 elementary school students, those are young children in the fifth grade or younger, have been arrested and processed, often violently, by the police, not by professionals trained to deal with children, not by professionals trained to deal with agitated children, mentally challenged children, economically challenged children. We don't have the right people to handle children with difficulties in school younger than the fifth grade. And when you look at the statistics and discover that the overwhelming majority of the young children arrested and processed by the police are either non-white and or physically or mentally disabled, you reach the following conclusion if you're honest. There's no justice here. There's not even justice for the police who are called upon in difficult situations to do something for which they lack the training, the experience, the expertise to do it in an appropriate, humane way. It's once again asking the police to clean up the mess that a society falling apart leaves and has no one else to turn to. So the police are called in and they make a mess of it. If you're interested in the details and be ready to avert your eyes, the CBS system, 
CBS Radio and TV, have produced a report called Handcuffs in the Hallways. Take a look. It's a few minutes. You will not forget it. I want to conclude by noting the passing on November 18th of Staunton Lynn. Staunton and his wife, Alice Lynn, were people who taught me when I was much younger uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. We overlapped there, and I learned a great deal how to understand American history. He was teaching American labor history at Yale University when I met him. But he was always an organizer, always working with unions, with unorganized workers to get a better shape. He was one of those radicals who mixed academic and practical work and was a model for the rest of us. He also had a big part of his life in Youngstown, Ohio, which is the city in which I was born. Thank you, Staunton. You inspired an entire generation, and we will miss you. We come to the end of the first part of today's show, which, for those of you who may not know, is produced by Democracy at Work, now celebrating 10 years of critical system analysis and visions of a better world. For example, Cities After, a podcast with Miguel Robles Duran, which is about the future of cities as it relates to the struggles of daily urban life with the intention of sparking civic imagination into action. To learn more about his show and others that we produce, go to our website, democracyatwork.info. Sign up there also for our mailing list and reach out with us to get that 300,000 uh, milestone of YouTube subscribers. Go to YouTube, join us, and stay with us as we interview my good friend, Adam Osho. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's Economic Update program. It is with real pleasure that I bring back to our microphones and to our cameras a very good and old friend of mine for many, many, many years. His name is Adam Hosha. He is a journalist and an author of many, many books, writes frequently about human rights and social justice. The latest of his 11 books is called American Midnight, The Great War, A Violent Peace, and Democracy's Forgotten Crisis. Adam has also written for The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The Nation, and many other uh, magazines. He also teaches at the University of California at Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. So first of all, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. All right, I want to jump right in and talk about your new book, American Midnight. You talk there about the United States during and after World War One as being a, quote, forgotten crisis of democracy. Tell us why you chose those words. Why is it a forgotten crisis? Uh, and does it have or did it have the characteristics of the one we have now? And I'm thinking of anti-immigration, anti-labor, white supremacy, Christian fundamentalism. Uh, are all of these things the same, or what is it that made you choose those words? 
Uh, yeah, it, there was very much a lot of the things that we see around us today. Uh, it's been forgotten because I think this country, like all countries, likes to see its history through a rosy glow. Things get better and better and better. Uh, you know, we formed the Constitution. We gave a Bill of Rights to everybody. Yes, we forgot about the slaves, but that was fixed later. And since then, things have been sort of steadily improving. So when we look back at this country of 100 years ago, we see the doughboys in their broad-brimmed hats uh, heading off to fight the war in Europe. We see them being welcomed home with ticker-tape parades. And then you turn the page of that chapter of the high school history textbook, and the next chapter is Roaring Twenties, Prohibition, Speakeasies, Babe Ruth, and so on. But a lot gets left out. And I really feel that the four years that stretched from April 1917, when the United States entered the First World War, until the end of Woodrow Wilson's presidency, March 1921, we saw in this country the greatest assault on civil liberties since the end of slavery. Uh, here are some of the things that happened in that time. We had a nationwide vigilante movement with 250,000 members, an organization, the American Protective League, chartered by the Department of Justice. We had roughly a 1,000 Americans sent to prison for a year or more, and a far larger number sent for shorter periods of time solely for things that they wrote or said. We had the worst racial violence since the end of slavery, with in the summer of 1919, something approaching eight or 900 people killed, almost all of them black. Um, these are just some of the things, and actually one more thing, thing I should add to that period, we had press censorship on a huge scale. Um, the United States government, in effect, shut down roughly 75 newspapers and magazines because it didn't like what they were saying. This press censorship was begun with the excuse that we were at war, but it continued for two and a half years after the war ended. Uh, ironically, just to bring back the connection to today, you know, Donald Trump and his presidency used to rail against the media and call the press the enemy of the American people. He wasn't able to shut them down, but Woodrow Wilson did so and moreover, the person who managed his press censorship program was the Postmaster General, who operated out of the building that a hundred years later became the Trump International Hotel. Oh. Yeah, you talk, you, you talk in the book, and I remember it striking me, that it was pretty naked. In other words, they, they used the postal system as a way to destroy the magazines and so on that needed to use the postal system to get to their readers were blocked from using it. And it was a direct government rendering it impossible for critical voices to be heard. Yeah, the law gave the postmaster general the power to declare a publication unmailable. It couldn't travel through the U.S. mail. Now, this didn't affect mainstream daily newspapers, which were sold on street corners and delivered to people's homes, but they, by and large, supported the government pretty enthusiastically. But it did affect 
weeklies, monthlies, journals of opinion, and the vast majority of the country's foreign language press. Because before the internet, before radio and TV, there was no other way of reaching subscribers spread around the country except through the mail. And the postmaster general who carried out this, this program uh, for Woodrow Wilson, Albert Burleson was his name, was a former congressman from Texas, extremely right-wing, an ardent segregationist. His family had actually owned 20 slaves at the time that he was born. He was the son and grandson of Confederate veterans. The very first newspaper he shut down was a socialist weekly in Hallettsville, Texas, which had exposed how on the land that he owned, Burleson had leased the land to the Texas prison system, which worked it with uh, prisoners in striped uniforms who were beaten when they, you know, didn't pick the cotton fast enough. Uh, he swiftly shut that paper down, and then he went after uh, much better known targets, uh, the leading one of which, best known of which, was the magazine The Masses, which was uh, really the best uh, monthly in the country at that time. It published John Reed. Uh, was edited by Max Eastman, published Edna St. Vincent Millay, Sherwood Anderson, uh, the young Walter Lippmann, who was in his socialist phase at that point. Um, and it was shut down because censors objected to some of the things that it carried, one of them being a cartoon that showed the Liberty Bell crumbling. <laughs> okay. Um... What about racism, particularly against African-Americans? We've seen recently a resurfacing of white supremacy in a variety of forms. Did you have that then? Obviously, it was closer to the, the whole Jim Crow experience and, and the betrayals after the Civil War and all of that. But was that as, as integral a part of the crisis of democracy, as you put it, uh, back then as it seems to be now? I think it was in a different way, because if you roll back the clock a hundred years and look at the United States a century ago, remember that the vast majority of black people in the South not only could not vote, but they were living in a region where there was often an average of one lynching a week. Uh, furthermore, they were mostly in extremely low paid uh, miserable jobs like uh, working as farm laborers, sharecroppers. And the Great Migration had become, begun, the movement of black people out of the South to the cities of the North. But when they got to northern cities, they often found that uh, white people didn't want them there. there were uh, There was a great deal of tension. Then when the First World War came along, black men were subject to the draft just as white men were. And this enraged many Southern legislators who thought this was a, a, a terrible thing, that black Americans were going to be trained how to shoot guns and to fight. Uh, the real trouble came when soldiers returned from the war. Roughly four million American troops uh, were demobilized during 1919. They came back to a country that was in economic turmoil because there weren't enough jobs for them. The, factories that had been making machine guns and tanks and uh, destroyers and whatnot during the war had shut down. Uh, so white and black soldiers were competing for jobs, uh, and white Southerners particularly 
uh, were eager to show these returning black troops that they shouldn't get any ideas just because they'd been in the army. Of the uh, more than 70 lynchings that took place during 1919, 11 of them were black veterans, three of whom were actually lynched while in uniform. So there was a tremendous amount of tension uh, about all this, exacerbated by the fact that uh, Wilson, who was president then, was himself a Southerner, the first Southerner elected to the White House since the Civil War, uh, deeply believed in segregation. As a historian, he took a startlingly benign view of slavery. And he said next to nothing about this epidemic of lynchings and other racial violence that spread across the country. Yeah, so Mr. Trump, uh, in his remarkable statements about Charlottesville and all those other incidents, uh, had a precursor in Woodrow Wilson, who's, to go back to what you said at the beginning, his reputation has been very sanitized and clean o over the years, so that I remember as I read through the passages in your book, uh, and I'm a person been interested in history all my life, I was struck particularly uh, by what you had to say about Wilson and about that postmaster that uh, he put into uh, the position. I want to I want to pull at your historical studies in two other ways quickly if we have enough time. Um, what brought that so-called crisis of democracy to an end? How and why did it stop being the kind of thing that you write about? I and mean, what happened after 1921 that um, makes you stop at that point? I wish I could say it was because the people who've been in power repented of their sins and decided that, uh, you know, we really need to bring back the wonderful civil liberties that are in theory written in the Constitution. But I think a couple of things happened. One was that the repression had accomplished its purpose, because even though uh, there were many other excuses given for the vigilante violence, the imprisonments, and so on, one of the major real targets in the government eyes, there were really two major targets. One was the Socialist Party, which, uh, you know, at one point had won 6% of the popular vote for president. Uh, there were a thousand socialists elected to state and municipal offices around the country. This was a threat to, to Wilson because he didn't want them, even with a small number of members of Congress, gaining the balance of power in the House of Representatives, which his Democrats held by a very thin margin. So he went after the Socialist Party. And he accomplished his purpose by putting the great many of its members and leaders in jail. The party really never again was a political force in American life. I mean, it was never as powerful a force in this country as socialist parties in Western Europe. But had it not been so ruthlessly crushed in this period, I think it might have pushed the major parties towards having something like the better social safety net and national health care system that they have in Canada, for instance. Um, so it accomplished its purpose in crushing the Socialist Party, and the repression seriously weakened the labor movement. Uh, the country's most militant union, the Industrial Workers of the World, known as the Wobblies, was crushed. Again, never a significant force after this period. Hundreds of its members jailed. 
one mass trial uh, of uh, more than 100 wobblies in Chicago ended with a judge passing out a collective total of 807 years of prison time. So those are, you know, even the mainstream American Federation of Labor, very moderate, lost a million members during this period. So the repression accomplished its purpose, I'm afraid. I wish we had more time, Adam, but I do want to leave with a, a quick comment. The 1930s, that come literally right after what you're talking about, did see a shift to the left. And I've always been wondering why that happened in light of the fact that after the crashes of the early 21st century, we're still waiting for something like that uh, to happen. And maybe that's an, a, a, a topic I'll bring up with you if you can if I can persuade you to come back another time. Next time, we'll have all the answers on that one. Good. Uh, thank you very, very much. And to my audience, these are the kinds of insights that a, a free and open left can bring uh, to our society. I value them. I hope you did too. And I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Okay. All right, Rama, tell us what this is. This should be a precursor, something very interesting for when we come tomorrow. Astrology of March 2023. Massive changes in world order, spiritual business. And who is this astrologer? Uh, This is... um, (coughs) Jocelyn Starfeather. Okay, we played her once before. Okay, so this is 35 minutes. Let's listen uh, to this. We're heading towards some massive changes in the world. Let's put it in the light. Move that that direction. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this YouTube Live. I have a very exciting um, astrology update to share with you. And this is about March 2023. This is going to be just a paradigm shifting, new world building kind of energy that we're bringing in in March 2023. And I can't wait to tell you all about it. So I'm Jocelyn Starfeather, and I'm the founder of Sacred Planet. Welcome to the Sacred Planet YouTube channel. Once you watch this video, definitely check out our other recent videos. I think you will find some really interesting things that you might love to explore. And so for today, we are looking at the astrology of March 2023 with massive shifts in the world order and spiritual businesses rise. So let's dive right in. I'm going to share my screen with you here um, with a chart for the date and time when, first of all, we will have Pluto moving into Aquarius. So here we are. Now, this is the first transit out of three transits I'm going to particularly call your attention to for March 2023. And this is a really big one because Pluto is uh, going to spend about 20 years in Aquarius. Pluto will be moving out of Capricorn 
in March 2023 and will be spending some time going back and forth between Aquarius and Capricorn for 2023 and all the way until the end of 2024. Okay. And then going forward, 2025 and on will be completely uh, in Aquarius. All right. And Pluto will be transiting Aquarius all the way until 2043. So this is a major 20-year transit. Previous to this, Pluto spent about 16 years in Capricorn. And so whenever Pluto changes signs, because Pluto moves so slowly, it's a very, very far outer planet, as you know. Um, This is a shift of ages, okay? This is really bringing in a whole new collective energy. And Pluto is the planet that... Um, teaches us about transformation, that teaches us about our true and deep power that lies beneath the shadows. So Pluto calls for us to excavate and to explore deep within ourselves and to make major initiatory changes in our life around the themes of the sign that he's in and for you in your own chart, the house that he's in, in order to bring hidden truths into the light in order to find the treasures hidden beneath your shadow so you can bring those gifts out and actually become more fully who you truly are and step into your deep, deep power that you hold within. Now, what I'm going to share with you here today are some aspects of what we'll feel in the collective from this Pluto in Aquarius transit. We want to keep in mind that this is a very long process that will last for many, many years, okay, 20 years um, that Pluto will be in Aquarius, and even after that, we'll still feel some aftershocks from it, right? So this is a this is a long transit. This is a powerful and very important transit, but it's going to take some time for Pluto's effects to really fully move through us, to really fully come into our lives, and then... Um, take the actions, you know, and the and the um, outcomes that he's wanting to create and then for us to integrate it. Okay, so this is a long process with Pluto. Um, Pluto will be coming to the exact zero degree Aquarius point that Jupiter and Saturn had their grand conjunction at in December 2020. Okay, so if you think back to what was happening for you personally, in December 2020 and what was happening for us in the collective at that time. There was a lot going on. It was very initiatory, okay? It was very um, revelatory as Saturn had just moved into Aquarius and Jupiter was just moving into Aquarius at the same time. They were joining together at zero degrees of Aquarius. So around whatever themes you were experiencing at that time, there are going to be new layers of truth opening up around those same themes, Um, in 2023 and even throughout 2024 because Pluto will be exact at zero degrees Aquarius on various dates all throughout the two years essentially from March 23rd of 2023 for about a three-month period then January and February 2024 then July to September 2024 and then November and December 2024 so Pluto is going back and forth retrograding and going forward over the zero degree Aquarius point again and again. So what this major Pluto in Aquarius transit is going to be calling our attention to, okay, and then and this new energy that's going to be really strongly breaking through to us beginning in March 2023 is about what is new 
and what is possible. Okay. And with this happening in Aquarius, this is going to bring in um, an energy that can be very Uranian. It can be very unpredictable. Aquarius is the energy of our future. This is the energy of the new communities that we're going to build to form our future world. And that's why this can be completely uprooting the current world order and bringing in a new world order, a new kind of leadership we haven't seen before. I'm going to speak more about that in a moment. Okay. But Aquarius is also um, the sign that really honors the unique genius in each person. So as we think about what are the new kinds of communities we want to form going forward, there's this very egalitarian energy, okay? This is stepping away from the top-down type of leadership, power-over type of leadership, and bringing in a new egalitarian energy, a much more grassroots kind of energy with Aquarius coming to the forefront of our consciousness during this next 20 years, Um but Aquarius is aligned with the themes of the planet Uranus. All right. So this also brings in an unpredictable energy, a destabilizing energy. But we have to remember that if things are breaking down, if things seem unstable, this is happening in order to create the changes that are needed. We know we need a lot of change in our world. We know there are many aspects of how our world is being run by humanity that is completely out of alignment, out of alignment with truth, out of alignment with the earth, out of alignment with our deep values and integrity, right? So these changes are what Pluto is going to bring so that we can build the future in a new way, right? Aquarius, so that we can build the new future that we know is possible, that we've been longing for. So in the long run, again, Pluto works over a long period of time. So in the long run, this destabilizing that we'll experience is meant to increase coherence and frequency overall in the collective, in the big picture. So Pluto wants to explore the deepest layers. Pluto wants to bring out the truth. And and with Pluto, anything that's hidden must come out. All right. So If there are situations where governments or politicians or corporations or medical establishments, whatever it might be, have been dishonest, have been hiding the facts, hiding the truth, these kind of truths are going to start to come out. There's going to be some major disclosure. There's going to be some major um, truths coming into the light, particularly over the next 20 years and starting in March 2023. We need to remember that Pluto represents the continual cycles of destruction and creation. And destruction always leads to new creation. We must destroy and compost the old in order to birth what is coming next. So with all of this, it's always in service to our highest evolution. But there may be wake-up calls. There may be things we don't want to look at. Um, There may be things that we've turned away from before, and now we're going to be asked to really look at them, to really come, you know, eye to eye with that which we didn't want to see so that we can heal it, so that we can work with it, so that we can evolve it. And so we need to be resilient and we need to go into the spaces with the shadows. We need to go into the spaces with what we didn't want to look at so that we can rise into this higher evolution that Pluto is calling us up to. So as all of this moves through, this can create social and political revolutionary energy. 
All right. This can create massive shifts in power and leadership. And so as we move with these energies, there are going to be new forms of leadership emerging, ousting out the false leaders who are still trying to do things in the old, outdated ways, bringing in new leaders, bringing in new leaders who will see things in a new way, who will want to build the future in a, in a different way than what we even had access to before. Um, Pluto and Aquarius also is going to represent some big changes and new developments in technology. So we're already seeing, just as Pluto is, is about to tap into Aquarius for the first time here, an explosion in AI technology, space exploration, um, new medical developments, new experimentation with what is being put into our bodies. And so this is going to continue. And we're going to need to really decide, each and every one of us, what is in alignment with our values, what is in alignment with our own integrity, and what do we consent to versus what do we not consent to, and what do we not want to um further or give any any strength or energy to. And we may need to take a strong stand on that in some cases. There will probably be some big revelations coming out about what's really been happening with scientific and medical experimentation. Um, cryptocurrency is another part of this, this new technology, new forms of money. Pluto also represents money. Okay. So there may be uh, changes in the cryptocurrency market, maybe even new forms of currency other than the cryptocurrency we've had so far. Um, there could be definitely through the tracking of money be uh, attempts at greater tracing and control of the population. And then along the technology um, lines, there could be new forms of the Internet or completely new technology we haven't even imagined yet coming out and becoming available to us. So all of this represents significant changes for the evolution of humanity. And we've had many years with Pluto in Capricorn, Capricorn representing structure, representing governments, corporations. Um, we've had many years as Pluto moved through Capricorn of seeing the structures being torn down. Okay. Those political structures, educational structures, medical you know, organization, medical industry structures, right? We've been seeing the holes poked in those. We've been seeing their weaknesses. We've been seeing how they're starting to crumble. So now that we are so far advanced in tearing down the structures, all right, and our lives have been lightened and freed from old energies and burdens because our in our own lives, the structures have been torn down as well. How are we going to come together in community, honoring the differences within each and every one of us, okay, creating this new egalitarian future with new leadership, right? So I invite you as we're thinking about this upcoming Pluto transit to really journal on these questions or, or meditate on these questions, okay? So one question is, what are you done with? What have you had enough of? You're ready to be done with it. And also, what are you ready to birth anew in service to the collective future? Now, that includes your own future as a part of the collective, but also keeping in mind what the collective needs, because this is one of the Aquarian values that's going to be very important moving forward. How does what I am doing 
play a part in the larger collective and how can I contribute the highest energy into that? Right. And then the third question is, what truths do you need to bring into the light in order to help birth that new future that you've been dreaming of? So this is a massive shift in energies and a very, very powerful time. Um, this this whole month of March 2023 and Pluto moving into Aquarius is only one piece of the puzzle. All right. So um, let's move to the next transit that I want to share with you. And that is Saturn moving into Pisces. So this will be on March 7th, 2023. So I'm just going to update the chart here at about 8.35 a.m. New York time. Okay, so here we have Saturn at zero degrees, zero minutes of Pisces. And I'm putting the charts up because if you're interested, you can look at what the the entire chart configuration is at that time. I'm not diving into the individual squares and trines and everything like that in this um, video. I am more looking at an overview of what this transit is going to bring for us as these planets move through the full sign as Pluto moves through the full sign of Aquarius, as Saturn moves through the full sign of Pisces. Um, you can see here that Pluto at this time is still at 29 degrees of Capricorn, okay, because this is earlier in the month before that Pluto shift occurs. Okay, so as Saturn is going to move into Pisces on March 7th, we are talking about this sign of Pisces that has already been relatively recently activated by Uranus, by Neptune, which is still there in Pisces, as you can see at 24 degrees of Pisces, by Jupiter, which only recently moved out of Pisces and is now transiting through Aries. Okay, And now this sign of Pisces is going to be activated by Saturn as well. Pisces represents our dreams, our imagination, our visions, our spirituality, represents our connection to and insights from plant medicines and near-death experiences, right? These transcendent experiences that allow us to see beyond the veil, that allow us to see the reality that is not not visible to us on a day-to-day basis with our human eyes. And Pisces also represents our understanding of oneness, that we are all one, that we are all so deeply interconnected. So Pisces is very much about how we see reality. And because all of these other major planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Jupiter, have been spending time in Pisces over the past several years, there is already a massive spiritual awakening underway. These planets have come in and hit this sign, this zodiac sign that has so much to do with our spirituality, our connection to our oneness and interconnectedness, and it's causing our belief systems to shift. So we're at this point now where there's already this massive spiritual awakening happening. We are already at a point of understanding that there are major changes that need to be made in how we view reality and our role in the collective future, right? That we're all interconnected. So how are we impacting the whole So then when Saturn comes into Pisces with this context of mass spiritual awakening already set into motion, Saturn is going to ask us to get serious about this awakening process, to get serious about our dreams, our imaginations, our visions, our spirituality. 
He's going to ask us to put structure around this awakening process to build it more fully into 3D reality. So Saturn, planet of Saturn, is about structure, hard work, building something that will last. And Saturn includes frequent delays. He causes delays. He causes frustrations, slowdowns. But this is to force us to pause, to evaluate and restructure to ensure that we have the strongest foundation before we continue building. So Saturn is going to play a really key role here. Saturn is asking us to come to a new level of maturity around our spiritual awakening. And Saturn is saying, it's time to take your dreams, your imaginations, your visions, your deepest desires. It's time to take the things you're seeing in your meditations and your medicine journeys and build them into physical 3D reality. Make them real, create new outcomes, new results, and time to explore new methods, new solutions. So this is really powerful. And what I see happening here more than anything is that the spiritual awakening that's been happening, this rising of consciousness that is happening on the earth is going to become so much more mainstream over the three or so years that Saturn will be in Pisces. And that's going to be until February 2026. Okay, so March 2023 to February 2026. During this time, we are going to see an absolute explosion of interest in energy healing, in frequency work, in uh, sacred plant medicine work, in ritual and ceremony, in dream work in meditation even more so than it already is okay and so um also rites of passage work and all different forms of ceremonial and ritual work so this is an incredible opportunity for those who have already been on the awakening journey for those who of you out there listening who are already light workers who are already healers who are already teachers of these beautiful many healing modalities and spiritual expansion and growth modalities that are available. I'm actually going to share another screen with you here because it's it's relevant and it illustrates this really beautifully. Um, but those of you who are already have already been doing the work, have already been going through the initiations, already been experiencing your spiritual awakening, you're going to be called upon to become leaders now for those new people who are stepping into and just starting to open their eyes and their hearts to see what more is here for us. So as it says here, projects, ventures, communities, businesses that are based on all of these themes, spirituality, healing, energetics, frequency, ancient wisdom, ritual and ceremony, plant medicines, astrology and tarot, alchemy, dream work, dance, movement, nature connection, all of these are going to be so incredibly favored by the cosmic energies, particularly with Saturn moving into Pisces. Um, Pluto and Aquarius also helps with this as well, okay, because Pluto is bringing us into an increased level of interest and want, desire to explore the mystery, the magic, the hidden realms, okay? So if you are wanting to start a business around these themes or you're already doing that kind of work, you are going to be so massively supported during the next three years. So really take heart. Um, it's like spiritual businesses rise. Okay. Those are, the, those are the words to sum it up, right? Now is your time. So claim your power 
and really move into connection with what you truly want to do because you're going to have the support to do it, especially starting in these next three years. Um, if you are interested in starting a spiritual business, come to my website. I'll put some links below in the description field. Um, there are so many beautiful opportunities that I would love to share with you. But this Saturn in Pisces is really going to help us solidify the awakening process, come to maturity around our own spirituality. And we're going to see that echoed in the collective in these really beautiful, beautiful ways. Now, Saturn can be a stern taskmaster. Okay, so if Saturn comes into Pisces and you want to look at what house uh, in your own chart is Pisces, because that's the theme that Saturn will especially be working with you on. If Saturn comes in and things seem to start really slowing down and grinding to a halt and getting frustrating or there are breakdowns, don't worry. Okay, don't freak out. (laughs) Just know that Saturn is ultimately here to help you build the strongest possible foundation in this area of your life. Again, whatever house Pisces is for you in your chart. Saturn is coming in to help you evolve. He's helping you to create structures, to create new organization, to create new um, concepts that can really help you to be strong and steady in this area of your life so that you can be at your best and expand into this going forward. All right. So trust the process. And if Saturn is giving you stern lessons, okay, you want to work with Saturn. Don't run from it. Right. We want to really turn towards Saturn and say, you know, have conversations with Saturn. Ask him, Saturn, what do you want me to learn from this? What is the lesson I'm supposed to be getting here? Please help me to understand. Help me to integrate this so that I can learn quickly and receive the blessings of this transit even sooner. Really important to do that rather than turning away because it got difficult. All right. Now, the third really important transit I'm going to share with you today is involving Venus. All right. So this is going to be Venus conjunct the North Node in Taurus. And this is happening on March 20th. So let me update the chart here. That's 1028 in New York time. So you will see that we have Venus at four degrees and 24 minutes of Taurus. And we also have the North Node at four degrees and 24 minutes of Taurus on this powerful March 20th date, which is also the equinox. This is going to be a really powerful day um, and a very beautiful, beautiful energy. So the North Node represents the collective future of humanity. Okay, this is the direction that our souls and our destinies and our highest evolution is pulling us toward. That is what the North Node represents. And so this is monumental. Okay, this is this is just like Aquarius. This is very future oriented. Now, Venus represents the great goddess, the true sacred feminine. And she also represents embodiment, love, beauty, She represents where we find ease and flow and grace in our lives. And she represents financial resources and how we value ourselves. Very important for entrepreneurs, right? We need to really value what we're offering so that we can receive the abundance for it in return. And Venus is very at home in Taurus. Taurus is one of the two signs that she rules. Um, The other one is Libra. 
And Taurus represents our 3D existence here on the planet. Okay, so Taurus represents our physical bodies, the physical earth, also represents the far distant ancient feminine and matriarchal wisdom. And Taurus represents stability, steadiness, groundedness, and a feeling of home, a feeling of safety because we know we're at home in our bodies, we're at home on the earth. So Venus also carries many of these same themes as Taurus. Taurus and Venus are are quite interconnected. So when Venus conjuncts the North Node in Taurus, this is going to be at, at four degrees of Taurus, as you can see in the chart. This is going to bring ease and peace and soothing to the places in our lives that got obliterated in 2022. Okay, with the Uranus-Mars North Node conjunction, which was extremely destabilizing, extremely destructive in some of our lives that happened in late July, early August 2022, and was really like the epicenter of 2022. So all the themes that came up for you very intensely in 2022, probably centered around this Uranus-Mars North Node conjunction that was very fiery, very destructive, very like world ending so that we can start a new world but when it's happening it feels really difficult so venus is now coming to the north node so where uranus and mars were conjunct the north node in 2022 now this is a very different energy with venus conjunct the north node so this is going to bring peace and calm much more ease around the subjects that came up so intensely in 2022 And where we may still be feeling desperation and despair around those, around what happened last year, um, she's going to bring peace around that. She's going to bring calm and ease and soothing. So um, this is a time to really center in, focus in within yourself. Okay, come back to your embodiment practices or if you never have had an embodiment practice like yoga or dancing or tai chi it's an amazing time particularly on this march 20th date to set a new intention all right and to really anchor in to embodiment to honoring your body as the physical temple and to laying on the earth, hugging a tree, really like coming into connection with the natural world around you as a way of healing from all that happened in 2022. So for the the bigger picture here, um, this transit for all of us brings a massive invitation for us to reclaim our organic sovereignty. And I want you to really let these two words sink in to all to your heart and all levels of your awareness, our organic sovereignty. Okay, so this is happening at the same time as we're going to be faced with AI and wild new technology advancements from Pluto and Aquarius. Okay, and and Uranus is going to move into Gemini in 2025. It's going to be even more wild technology advancements. Venus conjunct the north node in Taurus is going to ask us to reclaim our right to leave the phone and computer at home and go for a walk way out in the forest far away from cell phone towers okay reclaim our embodiment reclaim our true self-expression using the body 
right? The self-expression of our deepest desires, our sexuality, our sensuality. These are very important themes for Venus, right? So think about where in your life have you gotten way too trapped in your head, (laughs) too intellectual, too caught up with thinking and technology and being busy. Venus is beckoning you back to the warmth and comfort of your own body, to the unconditional love of the earth, to walking barefoot in the grass on a sunny day or savoring a long kiss with your beloved. Right. And so as the North node is involved here, this brings us to a bigger question for all of humanity, which is what will we choose? What will we as the collective of humanity choose? And I'm just making sure. Okay. Making sure our technology is all good here. It is. And so what will we choose, right? So with Pluto and Aquarius, Uranus soon moving into Gemini, right? Are we going to choose to put computer chips in our brains and worship AI images of our friends? (laughs) You know, these AI images that are going around now. It's just, it's just wild, right? And are we going to try to find a way to live on Mars because it's just gotten too hard here on Earth? Is that what we're going to choose? Because Pluto and Aquarius, Uranus and Gemini might invite us into that. Or will we follow Venus and Taurus with the North Node? Will we reclaim our deep, ancient, reciprocal connection with the Earth, spend more time with her, dancing, making love, sitting around a fire, planting seeds in the deep, rich, dark soil, and honoring this physical temple of the human magical body that we each get to live in, because this body is ultimate, the, ultimately the highest technology of all, That's right. right? Venus is coming in to remind us of this. And what's really interesting is this is a fairly short transit, okay, Venus to the North Node um, on March 20th. But Jupiter is going to come along behind Venus. Jupiter is going to conjunct the North Node at three degrees of Taurus in late May and early June. And then Jupiter is going to spend a full year in Taurus. So this Venus North Node transit is just the beginning of a larger invitation back to our organic sovereignty for those who dare to leave behind the system that requires us to be on our phones all day, right? And find our path back to our true, real, natural selves and our true, real, natural earth. Now, I don't mean to say that all technology is bad. Clearly, we're here on a YouTube live. You know, let's embrace the technology where it's positive. But let's also not give up our own agency, not give up control over our own bodies. Right. And let's just find the right balance and let's create space in our lives to take time away from the technology when that is aligned. All right. It's also really beautiful that this Venus North Node conjunction is happening at the equinox. So this is a day when day and night are equal. This is a very um, important Earth-based holiday. And in the Northern Hemisphere, this is when the first signs of spring are starting to break through. We might be finally having a warmer day here and there. And in the Southern Hemisphere, this is the time when the intensity of heat of the summer is starting to ease and we're moving into the beauty of autumn. So this is a wonderful time to spend the day with the earth and with nature. And that will make Venus and the North Node conjunct very happy. So I would love 
to hear in the comments on YouTube, how does this move you? What do you think? How do you see this showing up in your own life? You will want to look at what house is Aquarius in your chart for that Pluto transit, what house is Pisces in your chart for the Saturn transit, and what house is Taurus in your chart for the Venus, and then coming down the line a couple of months later, Jupiter uh, and the North Node transits. And I would just love to hear your reflections, your thoughts. Um, how do you feel about the AI technology versus our organic sovereignty? I know there might be some heated discussions about that, and I welcome it. You know, we need to bring all of our awareness, all of our consciousness, all of our values forward together in these Aquarian times and find our new way forward. So um, this month of March is just momentous. It's huge. It's, a, it's such a big shift of energies on so many levels. So it's good to know about it in advance. You know, you want to really be prepared for that shift so it doesn't take you off guard um, so that you can work with it in the best ways and embrace these energies because all transits have a positive side and a more difficult side, right? So we want to be able to embrace the positive aspects of it and know how to be resilient and courageous if the negative aspects come up because always, always they are just helping us to move toward our highest evolutionary path. So I wish you all a beautiful day today, and I wish you a beautiful March 2023 when that month arrives, and I am sending you all much love. Okay. I think that was a good one. Okay, Rainbird, you got the last word, and I know I got this Excalibur with Quetzalcoatl here on this talking sick and all the angels, fairies, mothers, rainbows, crystals, and all those little people. Here it comes. I got it. All right. <laughs> there you are. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a good march. And it's exciting just to, just to have that whole shift of Pluto and Aquarius and just, Day. Well, like it's on now. All those planets direct, and let's go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to dance from here to there. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we got this. So, yeah, happy birthday to you right before that. Not too much before that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think the play is on. Chate <laughs> Germain is in charge. Yeah, and all these women. International Women's Day every year, your birthday. That's right, absolutely. International Women's Day in that feminine energy coming online. That's pretty sweet. Oh, amen. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, the changes of 2023. <laughs> and, yeah, in this big medicine, what we're working with right now, I think about the joy of all these people coming back that of uh, those three and a half billion that are missing. <laughs> and Wait, some of them, you know, come, coming back and going. Yeah, if we've got three and a half billion left, there were eight billion, four and a half, five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half, uh, yeah, four, four and a half billion went somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's only one of us here. 
<laughs> yeah, there's only one of us here. Exactly. That's that's something to grok. And <laughs> so again, I want to say thank you for tonight. It was good. And I'm passing this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. What do we have, darling? This is Alan Watts' Infinite Possibilities. All right. Let's do it. disturb it and uh, antagonize it and make it seem less one with you than ever. The way to become one with the universe is to trust it as another, as you would, another, and say, let's see what you're going to do. But in doing that, you see, in saying that to everything else, that you have been taught to think is not you, you are also saying it to yourself. Because finally, as I pointed out, you do not know where your decisions come from. They pop up like hiccups. And when you make a decision, people have a great deal of anxiety about making decisions. So when we decide, we're always worrying, did I think this over long enough? Did I take enough data into consideration? And if you think it through, you find you never could take enough data into consideration. The data for a decision in any given situation is infinite. So what you do is you go through the motions of thinking out what you will do about this. And then when the time comes to act, you make a snap judgment.
but we fortunately could get the variables that would interfere with this coming out right It's amazing how often it works. But warriors are people who think of all the variables beyond their control and what might happen. So then when you make a decision, and it works out all right, I think very little of it has much to do with your conscious intent and control.
tonight and we'll see you this afternoon everyone and yes may peace prevail on earth Satnam Aloha Namaste